Faz, one day away from freedom. Yes. So we're recording this on Sunday, which is one day before the gyms open. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> we can see the light. So yeah, in this podcast, we'll be um, going over some topics regarding exercise, which I think we've heavily discussed, you know, diet and nutrition. But um, this will probably be the first podcast where we'll um, just discuss training, exercise selection, exercise execution, um, along with a lot of other stuff, I'm sure. So yeah, Baz, how have you been? Yeah, all right. And uh, thank goodness we are back in gyms. I can't wait. Um, I've also got a plan to do a bunch of cardio. So I'm actually going to be very active, uh, a lot more active than I was over the last year. God, it seems like such a long time that we've been in this lockdown, doesn't it? So yeah, I'm going to be walking to the gym, which is nice. Um, I'm going to do some cardio at the gym, which is nice. I've got my training routine set up, so I've got a bit more recovery, so I can do more aerobic stuff because I think that's important. Um, I can't wait. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. So excited. Same. You ever happened to watch um, Mark Bell's YouTube channel recently, have you, on his videos on cardio and simplifying it? I do it? watch it. Because I, I, I what just, did I you say watched, about it? Yeah, you, you just had like a recent video on um, with Enzima. Um, who you do, who you does like, the podcast with, and they're talking about like yeah. simpli- simplifying cardio and doing it in different ways. Uh, so like not yeah. like your typical jump on the treadmill and just uh, you know getting some cardio, but more resistance type cardio tra- training. So using dumbbells and stuff, um, which I thought was interesting as well because it's like a new uh, perspective on it, and it puts it probably m- makes it more interesting to to people as well rather than just jumping on a machine machine and just you know, going through the motions, but um, yeah, I, I like the. I found. Uh, yeah. I would say I found. I, I agree with you. I, I found that the high intensity interval training tends to work better with my body type because I've had twenty two years of just heavy weight training, so that sort of changes your body to be more explosive, and so I like doing like sprints and walking back. The gym that I'm going to from Monday has got a sprint track of a small one, but it's a sprint track. So I could sprint back and forth. I'd walk back, sprint forward. I could do farmer's walks, farmer's carries. They've got a, they've got a prowler. So I can do more high intensity sort of interval training. Not that that's better or anything. And to be honest, it's probably not going to be um, actually definition book, high intensity interval training, because I'm probably going to have short rest periods. But the point is I can do explosive stuff, get a bit of breath back, do more explosive stuff get a bit of breath back that works well for my body and I, I tend to see a high higher return than just banging my joints on the um, treadmill so that suits me so for, for meatheads out there who are like a little bit on the heavier side like I am that might be a nice alternative for them I think I've I've got that down now to the point where because I'm about 85 84 kilos so I'm not as heavy as I used to be so there's less pounding on my joints so I should be able to do some sprints and carries and stuff like that so that is the kind of stuff that i like so yeah works yeah changes all like is for me it's always welcome so not doing the same thing over and over again um in terms of cardio uh, along with the steps as well like i like my steps and podcasts and music so um so yeah so i thought did you want to start um i wanted to ask you like uh, this question um in terms of one of your recent podcasts or i think it was posts on social media 
mm. in terms of yeah just starting off this conversation on training exercise execution selection um with the topic of goals like setting goals because you put that in one of your posts recently i think from what i'm re remembering and how important it is to have a goal when going let's say back into the gyms um yeah do you reckon yeah. that's a good place to start or did you want to start somewhere else yeah i think it's, i think it's a very good place to start because i i made that post in that video it was called intensity versus volume like what's more important so it's a bit it's a bit clickbaity but i wanted it to be a bit clickbaity because the message was a lot more important and so basically just to give you a bit of background on this and for people listening um over the course of the last 10 years uh we've had a lot of talk about the minutiae of bodybuilding like even the layman now understands things about um maximum recoverable volume a minimum recoverable volume, all that kind of stuff, um, intensity versus volume. The layman understands these arguments, but I think a lot of that actually detracts from the overall message. And the overall message is really quite a simple one. And that is just, you've got to get progressively stronger in moderate rep ranges in excellent form. And so I think in the big compound lifts. So that's that's the, the last sort of caveat there. But if we were to sum up those four things, get progressively stronger, in moderate rep ranges with great form in a big compound exercises. I think that's the overwhelmingly important thing. Now, what I'd like to do today is like break that down when talking about sort of exercise selection and form and like priorities and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, so I think overall perspective that I wanna tell people, the best thing you can do for your um, weight training gym progress over the course of the next 12 months and let's say six months just till the end of this year is to really focus on getting a lot stronger for the big compound lift. So if we were to break that down, what I always talk about is my markers of progression. And this is kind of ties into your question about exercise selection. So this is kind of what I want to talk about. <clears throat> now, I would like people at home listening to pick three exercises. So a push, a pull and a legs that they use as the gauge for their progress over the course of the next six months. Now, you'll have other exercises in your routine as well. So it's not like you're doing only those three, but those three exercises are how you gauge your progress. So a push will basically tell you a good push comp compound push exercise, like a bench press, incline press, dip, something like that. That will tell you whether your tricep, shoulder, and chest musculature is getting bigger over time. Like you don't need to have three separate ones. Let's simplify, okay? We need to simplify. So let's say we take an effective push exercise. That is going to be our mark for progression. And we're going to know that if we add 20 to 40 kilos on that lift in a moderate rep range with great form over the course of the next six months, we are more than likely gotten bigger. We do the same thing for the back. And we do the same thing for the legs. Now, if I was to pick a big three for me, and I am going to be doing this, by the way, it's going to be the squat, the chin-up, and probably the bench press. Those are the three lifts that I want to really, really make a big effort on increasing. And over the course of the next six months, that is how I'm going to gauge my entire progress for my whole body. Because a lot of times it can get really convoluted when we have all these exercises, we're trying to progress on everything, but we're trying to have a broad pigeon bird's eye view perspective on everything. I want everyone to be able to say at the end of six, months, everyone who listens to our podcast to be able to say at the end of six months, say like sometime in wherever it is, September, October, that, Hey, okay, you know what? 
Faz Sunil, I did it. I gained 20 to 30 kilos on my push, my pull, and my legs, and I'm bigger now. That is progress. So uh, just to throw it back on you then, um, thinking about it now, what off the top of your head to put you on the spot, what could be your big three for the next uh, six months? I've already got them. <laughs> so um, conventional, okay. Okay. <laughs> conventional deadlift, bench press, and the leg press. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. You know, just to touch perfect. on that, Very um, just to, yeah, just just to kind of roll off your point there and add to that probably, um, it's um to to kind of simplify that as well um, is just performance, right? Would you agree with that? So mm, if, if we were to kind of if we were to kind of give people examples, if you're not really experienced in the gym or you know the gym's not not, not kind of your thing and you and you get into it. Think of it as like a striker in football or soccer for your American listeners. A striker in soccer or football, right? His, his performance will be gauged on how many goals he scores. And mm. let's take like a, a basketball example, like a three-point shooter. I think, it's a, I think it's a shooting guard or shooting forward. Like how many three points are you scoring on average or in the game, say? And with the gym... Do you find like people, they don't really have any, yeah, so no markers for progression, no tracking. They're just going in, doing a workout one day, and they're not really reflecting back on their previous performances. And it's just like, a, you know, kind of going in, working out, kind of feeling like you worked out, but you, you don't really know if you're progressing. And using those kind of examples of football and basketball um, can probably help people think of how to go into the gym. Um, so you know what? I've got two analogies for you. Yeah. I've got two analogies for you here. So one, I like your football analogy, and I'm going to expand on that because that makes a lot of sense. So basically, the football analogy, to expand on that, it would be like saying, uh, what's your um, win rate? What's your win rate? Now, your win rate is the bottom line. Your win rate is how you improve your big three. That's the bottom line. Okay. Now, in terms of how you get there, it 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 doesn't matter as much. Like whatever you're doing to get that win rate is obviously working. Like for example, back like, in the um, day, like the early two, like uh, Chelsea, like when Chelsea get in um, hammered for saying they just they, they just park the bus and they just win like that, and that and that's not that's not that's not good. But they're winning, right? I don't I don't know if you remember that, but they, they were winning at the end of the day. That's so, exactly what I was gonna say. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Back, back. That's exactly what I was gonna say because I was gonna say some teams play the long ball, right? They play the long ball, they stack really, really tall strikers and tall defenders and physical players, and they long ball it up. Yeah. And back in the day, a lot of European teams couldn't really cope with that. Like, the English guys would come in, just stack the long ball, <laughs> and the, the Europeans are like, what the hell is this? We're not even getting the ball in midfield because they just boot it off upfield, but they'd, they'd get the win. So, bottom line is, right, if you're getting the win, it's like you're increasing the weight on the bar for a set of 10, okay, or multiple sets of 10, in great form over time, the end result is working. So whatever you're doing in the gym, right, whether you're doing intensity, whether you're doing volume, whether you're focusing on form, whether you're from whatever it is, right, whatever you're doing, the bottom line is it's working. And that no one can argue with the results. So I kind of want to just make, make people refocus on what's important because people get get bogged down in the, in the minutiae. But the bottom line is just like the football team, if they get the results, they get the win. Who cares how they got it? So that's my first analogy. It's football analogy. 
Yeah, and the um the basketball that one. Might... I think, yeah, the the basketball one to that. I think. I, have you have you followed basketball recently or in in the current times? Not much. Not much. All right. Hopefully the American listeners can kind of relate to this, but like I think the yeah. trend now is more three point shooting. So like with the Golden State Warriors, they were just known for three points. Like everyone's like they just shoot threes, and that's how they win. But the trend now is to kind of probably adapt that kind of style of play, and that's how they're winning. So does it really matter, you know, how they're playing the game if they're winning? And probably that trend will die out, and then like another trend will come in. Uh, so it's like yeah, it's like at the bottom at the end of the day, it's just like the progress and the results that you get. So. It, it, yeah exactly like, on the on the topic of like minutia like i really don't like that now and i i don't like bodybuilding culture um that's the reason why i don't like it i i guess because of the minutia aspect and the neurotic behavior that um <laughs> i got caught up in so um yeah that's just my point on that yeah so the um the second analogy was more to so i think we've we've like given some nice analogies to do with just getting the end result now of what's important and in this case what's important is getting bigger and stronger like it doesn't really matter what method you use to get there now the other thing that i was going to say was in regards to you mentioned that people are going to the gym and not really were not really having a goal or having a structure just turning up and expecting to get results now this is something which i i constantly find myself explaining i think this is a separate point but you get a lot of people who come to weight training with a background in sports like or like cardio classes you know not sports but cardio classes so a lot of like it's both men and women who will do like high intensity interval training then come to the gym and basically attempt to work in the gym the same way that they work in a cardio class so in a cardio class the, the goal is to get through the class right like you've got an hour you must survive that class for an hour what i find is you get a lot of uh, both men and women come into the weight room with that same mentality of like coach has written me a list of sets and reps i've got to just survive this so the thing is that's not the way to get big and strong right the way to get big and strong is to give it your all on every set and so the purpose is to break you down so it's not about survival in the gym it's about destroying yourself and i think that's a key fundamental change that people have to address with their approach going into the weight room it's a very very different thing like aerobics spin classes hit circuits interval training it's a completely different mentality like you're almost rewarded by not working all out when you're doing a cardio class because you've got to last an hour you got to pace yourself in the weight room that is the wrong attitude to have like you've got to go all out i can't stress this enough as an important point actually and um, i'm glad that we've kind of got onto it because i wasn't I hadn't written it down to talk about it, but this is a really important point. I think we should timestamp this when, when it comes out. But this idea that there's a fundamental mentality shift from aerobics, cardio, all that, even sports to a certain extent, like football training, hockey training, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. Because um, then, again, you're trying to pace yourself before uh, to get through the match, all that kind of stuff. There's a fundamental change. When you're in the gym, you're, you are there and you're in that set that one set is analogous to the entire 90 minutes of a footballer's game. You've got to go all out on that set. And I think that's the mentality that people need to take to the gym on Monday. Don't approach it like a hit workout. Don't approach it like a football game. Don't approach it like a hockey circuit. Don't approach it like a, a eight mile, a two mile, eight mile jog, whatever. Approach every set as its own 
nucleus of hard work. You've got to give every set and you've got to absolutely smash it, get what you want to out of every set. That is a very, very big sort of, uh, if you do it right, a single set you do will contribute to that overall fatigue. And odds are, if you're doing more than about 25 sets per hour in the gym, like 25 sets per day, you're probably doing a routine where you're going to be diluting your intensity that you can bring to every uh, set. In that case, you may want to split things out over multiple days or go on to say an hour and a half or something like that. But just bear in mind that, yeah, it's, it's, we're not pacing ourselves in the gym. We are actually in there to make every set count. That is very, very important. So anyway, my analogy was, it's like being in the classroom. You know, I used to be a school teacher. There are students who are going to turn up and they're going to turn up and they're going to attempt to do the least. Now, they'll still turn up. That's great. Pat them on the back for turning up. Um, they'll be well behaved. Great. Pat them on the back for that. They'll do the homework. Pat them on the back for that. But will they actually excel? There's a difference between a kid who turns up and a kid who's there and is completely mind involved in it. And they, they know, you know, kids aren't stupid. They know when they're really trying, when they're not really trying. And so at the end of it, that kid is going to have different results based on his own potential. Like to really fulfill your potential, you've got to not just turn up, but you've got to be there and you've got to be involved and you've got to really, really focus. And that's kind of the analogy with the gym. I think a lot of people have this idea that in the gym, if they just turn up, just like they would do at a spin class or a hit class, they're going to get some results. But the thing is, in a hit class or a spin class, you're only turning up to burn calories. So, I mean, hell, you and I are burning calories right now. You know? But, but uh, the idea is for weight training, there's a specific goal, right? We've got to actually break down the muscle tissue. So I want people to, to go into the gyms on Monday with the express intention of executing their sets correctly in the right rep range. We're going to talk about all this um, in the right rep range. And then over the course of the next six months, taking those three marks of progression Sunil, it's a deadlift, leg press, and bench press. That bench press. Yeah. For me, it's a probably going to be a squat, a bench press, and a chin. And for whatever it is for you at home, have the express intention of over the course of the next six months, getting stronger for those movements in a set of like multiple sets of 10. Like for me, it's going to be about three to five sets of 10 for the squat, bench, and, and chin. That's what I'm going to do as my marks of progression. Everything else I do in a week, I'm still going to try and improve it, but at the end of the six months, that's how I'm going to gauge. And so it's the same with the classroom analogy. Don't just turn up. Have that express intention every single time that you're going to make one more rep, a little bit more weight on the bar, or better form. You're going to do something to improve. Continuous improvement is is the hallmark of a good lifter. Yeah, I think um, to like clarify, like like you were saying, our discussion here is that. Uh, based on resistance training so i think like when you know like like the gym now has, has become so commercialized where you can go to the gym and you can go there just to swim or sit in a, a hot hot a hot tub of jacuzzi um or you could go there to do hit class like like you're saying you could go there to do cardio solely you could go there to do like resistance training like we enjoy so yeah like um our discussion is based on resistance training and training with weights so that's what we're talking about when we talk about markets of progression because yeah um depending on what you're doing and, and that I think it's, it's contained like the background of how you get introduced into exercise say just in general um like we were mentioning before my introduction to training uh back in 2017 was more of like a powerlifting 
emphasis of focusing in on like you're mentioning the big three or which are my markers of progression. So I think that influence had an effect on how I approach training as well, compared to say someone who just has an, um, an introduction uh, to exercise through like a hit class or, or cardio, like you're mentioning, because they've taken that mindset now into the weight room. So yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's important. Like that's what we're talking about in, in this discussion. Um, cause yeah, cause going into a hit class, you wouldn't try and max out an eight rep, um, target for an exercise and then move on to another one with like minimal rest. So there's different, um, the, the specificity, I guess, is different for everything. And our there's no, there's no progression. Yeah. There's no progression. Um, and I think where, who does this well in the cardio world is CrossFit. So a bit of a, a, a well done to CrossFit is what they tend to do is they have like um, events, like what is it, a Murphy or a WADS, like is it, you know, that's what they call them, right? Like that's a Murphy or something ever. They name these workouts and the idea is that you can improve on that specific combination of, of workout for like 20 minutes. And it's like a benchmark workout where you can improve on that over time. So as a nod to CrossFit, and I don't normally nod to CrossFit, but as a nod to CrossFit, that's one thing they do quite well is that they make it progressive. And that's important because you, don't, you tend to not have that in like the cardio world that much. So they've, they've done that thing. They've brought progressive cardio to the masses which prior to them wasn't really a thing, like apart from just more and more jogging, but yeah. CrossFit is crazy fast because I was watching um, Fittest in the World on Netflix and they were doing um, an, an event in Dubai. And in terms of like specificity, like they throw in little things into the events like that weren't known by the competitors or anyone else. So yeah. like, I think one of the events was they had to do uh, a, a bike. Um, so a... They, they had to bike basically on the beach and then after that they went to the ocean swam and came back and the second event was quite similar but then they just threw in a buoy and told them to go with that into the water and swim so yeah it's, it's, it's crazy it's random like, shit. you're random shit so um yeah like the the, the talk on specificity and stuff i think um, yeah, yeah it, it's an alligator now <laughs> <laughs> throw it in and see what happens um i guess it, i guess that's like that's like the ultimate adaptation i guess like who, who's who can adapt the the most with these kind of and you know you're fit in crossfit mm. yeah and on another point like what is fit right like how how can you define fit because a strong man who weighs you know um 100 and what was it 100 and something kg like compared to like a bodybuilder who's just lean at their face like is one of them not fit because they're both fit for their event and their sport um so it's like, it's like a spectrum really like, on what you want to define as gotta, fit. yeah you've got to define what you're being fit with it's like it's like for me it's got to be specifically defined like what are you fit for like are you fit yeah. for a marathon or are you fit for a lifting weights so people will look at bodybuilders and say well they're not fit because they can't run a marathon but it's like well could you hang with them in the gym could you do 140 kilo bench presses for an hour. You know, could you do that stuff? No, probably not. So you're not fit as defined by that. It's also when people talk about um, uh, functional fitness, like they want lifts to be functional. I find that a very strange thing. It's like, look, Karen, you are a shelf packer at Asda. Like you need to be functional to do your job. Like you don't need to be running around, like lifting up laurel bags and 
all that kind of stuff. I think people get really funky about um, sort of functional fitness. You know, like if you if you've got an office job, like what function do you need exactly? I I actually heard um, years ago, a friend of mine, she's a doctorate, and uh, she her job at the time was an office job, and she said she really likes functional training because it helps her in her in her day to day life. And I was like, but you've got an office job, you work in a like what what functional stuff do you need like it doesn't help you in your everyday life like you know so like me for example i i pretty much work it as, as what i have now is an office job so how much function do i actually need so i think i don't know i don't mind people doing that stuff but i think fitness you've got to define what it is that you actually want out of it and it shouldn't be sold as this thing which is just good for you because you're running around or jumping on a bosu ball just it shouldn't be sold as an advertising uh, medium if that makes sense for just selling your program because it's it, a lot of times it's not actually for i i think you know what's actually functional for most people is just to have really big muscles because that protects them against uh, like diabetic markers and bad health and all that kind of stuff when they get older so and neurodegeneration stuff like that so the leaner and bigger you can be when you're older is actually the best thing for health and regardless of functional fitness we're all just trying to survive and have a good old age and health and throughout our youth as well so that's probably you could argue bodybuilding is probably the most functional thing done correctly it is the healthiest for you and you look the best when you're younger and also you have the potential to look great when you're and feel good in your brain when you're older as well like protect against all those horrible diseases like alzheimer's and all that kind of stuff so you could make an argument that bodybuilding is probably the most functional sport there is for life in general i i love bodybuilding um i think it was uh, flex wheeler who said all, all of these athletes who are trying to improve their game and their sports have to come into my world, into the gym. Um, so I, I really love that. And like the, the habits that bodybuilding teaches you with like meals, uh, just structuring your day in general. I, I really love that about this, about the sport of bodybuilding. While I don't enjoy some things about it, like the neurotic side of it and trying to get everything perfect. And, you know, I do love the, the, the things that you learn when you start implementing that. And like, I can't remember who I, else... I, I, yeah. Who, who, who else said this but um on the on the topic of the fit thing uh, there was this like a uh, kind of thing shared that i i heard once which was that if there's two doors and you open one and it's like a bunch of meatheads in the gym lifting that heavy ass weight and like you open right. the other door and it's just like a class of yoga i mean like they're both the same like they're both like probably extremes but they're just as hard as each other do, do you know what i mean so i really i really enjoyed that kind of um example of like you know they're two opposites but the the skill and probably the effort put to both is the same so uh like the, co the commonalities of you know uh fitness or the extremes of like the spectrum but um but yeah just to touch on that so i i would like to think that over the course of the next few weeks a few months you and i can bring back some simplicity to bodybuilding so like bring back the positive aspects of it like you've been doing some amazing stuff on diet, which is really good. And uh, I've been releasing a lot of stuff on training and I'd like to offer some more simplicity. And actually I've seen a lot of people contact me with regards to my training videos already. And they like this, this focus on simplicity. But let's pair back to what's important because there are any number of coaches out there who are talking about the minutiae of details, which just suck the life out of things. I mean, yeah. A lot the, the whole like a, a rank beginner who's yeah yeah right a rank beginner who's going to the gym for the first six months they don't need to be concerned about intensity volume they need to get in they need to be strong like when i first started training everyone just wanted to be strong like we were in the gym everyone just wanted to be strong 
And it was for, again, progressive you know, poundages in good form, in good moderate rep ranges over time. There was no real talk about the, the, the hypertrophy talk over the last 10 years, which started with um, Brad Schoenfeld's seminal work, which he identified the three forms of hypertrophy, three methods of hypertrophy. Um, what is it? Tension, um, the three types. Anyway. Oh, me- mechanical tension, well, when, st- me- metabolic stress, yeah. and eccentric damage, I think. was. That's, yeah, I think it was those three. So it sort of started off with him uh, there about 10 years ago, and it sort of built on this whole journey that we're in now. But I think it sucks the fun and out of a lot of, and it, it, not just the fun, but it sucks the focus. Like a lot of that was on what to do in an individual session. But this is like an important point. Like a lot of the focus of um, the studies is what do you do in an individual session or an individual week? How many sets, how many reps, I mean, all that kind of stuff. The thing is, all of that is entirely irrelevant if your months and weeks don't add up to the right goal. Now, what's far more important than the individual session is how you progress over the course of weeks and months. That is the more important thing. So if you have the perfect set of sets and reps, and then the week after you change something because you found another article to change your mind, then you never progress from week to week. And I think people are losing the forest for the trees here because they're finding the perfect combination of sets and reps every week. (laughs) And then over the course of six months, they make no progress. That is what sucks. And I think you and I, what we want to do is we want to bring back that simplicity. Say, well, what's most important is getting ridiculously strong in a handful of big compound exercises for sets of 10. Like that is the only thing that matters. All the rest are minutiae of details. And um, it annoys me uh, when um, people in the industry who are um, sort of front runners in the industry who are people that people look up to, um, that they argue and debate and really get personal about these details. Like, are you trained to failure? You're not trained to failure. Volume is better. Intensity is better. Low volume is better. High volume is better. And they argue and they start to form camps and they start to even swear at each other on camera. And it drives me crazy because that is so irresponsible because the average person on the street, no one, the average guy and girl is at the gym who's watching these arguments one week they're like oh yeah he's right yeah, yeah you're right he didn't he didn't slow down we didn't hit failure who gives a shit right? are you getting stronger or not that's what's important and this minutiae of details that these um like almost uh pro- i call them prominent members of our community they debate and they get really personal about it overblows the importance of those in the grand scheme of things it doesn't matter whether you go to failure or not not, not, not in the slightest no one gives a shit. It doesn't matter. And I don't give a fuck if some guy in America who I've never met before, who's a doctor of science, is going to failure or not. I couldn't care less. And I couldn't care if some very angry Texan who swears at everyone for the last 20 years is calling him a dickhead. I couldn't, I couldn't care about any of these things. What I care about is, are my clients getting results? Are they getting stronger over time? So, right? So let's, let's talk about that. Let's bring it back to that. That's the important stuff, right? That's the important stuff. Like whether those two are arguing and cussing each other out, I couldn't give a I couldn't give a toot. And frankly, I think it's um, really irresponsible for them to focus on those details. Like it, what it matters more about is like, are we getting results? <laughs> <laughs> so anyone else got that reference? Uh, <laughs> um, Hopefully, if you got the reference right in. <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah so um, I, I think that's the that that's the overriding thing, and I think we should we should focus 
we should put more of a focus on that, in my opinion. And that's what a lot of my stuff's going to be focused on because I, I started training and competing way before these, this whole mess happened. Like we were talking about intensity and volume years ago, you know, intensity, volume, frequency, that was the triangle. But there were people back then who were arguing about this kind of stuff. We just now we have a sort of revival of um, research in the area and people are rehashing these arguments again. But when I first started, the, the goal was just get freaking strong. And that seems to be lost in a lot of people. And it goes back to what I was saying at the beginning of this point is that people are far too concerned about the individual session. What is the ideal list of sets and reps? What is the ideal intensity? What is the ideal RIR? What is the ideal RPE? Whereas the goal really should be over the course of six months, get stronger. It's a very short-term mentality, which all a lot of this, um, a lot of this stuff promotes is a very short-term mentality. And like I was saying to you off uh, off camera, my goal for this year is to progress on a bro split. Last year I did a push pull legs. The year before was an upper lower. That's how often I change routines. <laughs> it's like it's not very often. So I want to be making a good degree of progress. So yeah, let's all just get stronger. You know. Yeah, Faz. Like I I love listening to like my elders, like people that are a lot older than me, like just tr just trying to ex extrapolate, like, you know, what their experience has taught them and trying to trying to use that. Um, so I don't make the same mistakes, if, if, if that makes sense. So whether that's, you know, from, from yourself, um, people like Dan John as well, I love listening to because he makes it's everything right. very simple. His, his minimalistic view on like buying um, 10 of the same of, you know, everything. I love that. Like, I love, I, I love the way he teaches as well. Um, and there are a lot of others as well that I, I kind of listen, kind of listen to um, and, and learn from. Um, and now I'm just very, I'm not as neurotic as I was, as I was before. Um, and shout out to Jocko here. Um, he, he has like a little saying or phrase where um, he promotes, you know, not overthinking because when you overthink a lot of stuff, you end up not executing or doing, you know, what you're supposed to do. And uh, he uses a phrase called bust that door. So when him and his team were um, clearing streets and buildings, you know, they were saying, you, 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 you can plan forever. You can plan, you can keep planning, but unless you don't bust the door and get in there, you, you're never going to do it. So that's what I find with this um, kind of, you know, changing stuff up every now, every week, every session. Um, it's, tr it's just too much planning. It's too, too much thinking into it and not enough executing. And then, that's where that progress or lack of progress I found uh, comes into play. So, yeah, really? I, don't, I don't know where you want to go uh, with this forward now, but um, in terms of the, of the podcast, but did you want to talk about kind of how your, because I, I know that you have touched on it before in one of your own podcasts um, on, on like how your training changed and how you got stronger um, by focusing in on the certain exercises. Yeah, so I guess um, what I'll talk about maybe is how to get how I got big and jacked in the first three years, um, because there'll be a lot of people in. Let's maybe talk about how much can you gain as a natural guy in the first sort of three to five years, because there'll be a lot of guys sitting there right now, who maybe have trained for like five or ten years but haven't ever really seen the gains, and I'd quite like to discuss what we're looking at there, what we're what you can do to actually get those gains because you can still get them they're on the table if you've been twiddling your thumbs for five or ten years like you can still you, this year can be your year like you can do it so when i first started my main focus i i discovered a book called um hard gainer from Stuart robert 
And I was, I was uh, really enthralled with that book. So I wasn't quite into powerlifting from the beginning. So, but th this book um, really talked about progressive poundages in good form, in moderate rep ranges, in the big compound lift. So to begin with, my routine uh, for the whole week <laughs> comprised of five different exercises. That's all I did. And every time I go in the gym, I would do for the upper body, I would do a chin, a dip, and an overhead press. And then for lower body, I would do a squat and a partial deadlift. That's all I did. Like literally for maybe eight months is what I did. And I just pounded those lifts over and over and over again. And you might be sat at home thinking, well, that's not enough. That's not the perfect list of sets and reps. And I would do like two sets of 10. That's it. It wasn't like a, wasn't anything special. I'd warm up, do two sets of 10. That's it. Um, wasn't, was no main set back off set. It was just like go and do a chin. I think I'd do a chin for like, I don't know, 20 to 40 kilogram of waist and then repeat it after like three to five minutes with the same weight. Now, the magic in that, it worked tremendously well because the magic in that was I kept repeatedly hitting the same lift and just getting it a bit stronger over time. And that's all. All I needed to do, all I wanted to do in that first year was just get stronger and stronger and stronger over time. Now, it was a very, very limited pool of exercises, but it actually accomplished all the bodily functions. So there was a push, there was a pull, there was an overhead movement, there was a squat, and there was a deadlift. And very really, I remember, <laughs> I remember about six months in to this year-long stretch, I actually did some bicep curls for the first time. I literally, it's not even a joke. I was so focused on doing the big compound basics. And the results were that within that first year, I think I started off probably in that first year of training in the gym, I had started with something like a 40 to 50 kilo bench press. I wasn't very strong on the bench. Chins and dips, I was basically doing with body weight or assisted. I think I remember doing pull downs and assisted dips. So I got my brother to, uh, we didn't have a dips assisted dip machine. So my brother would hold my feet uh, from behind, let me do dips. And I did the same thing with him. Neither of us were very strong. And with the overhead press, again, it was something measly like 30 kilos. So we were really, really weak to begin with. Um, but over the course of that year, I ended up with doing dips with 40 kilos around my waist, doing chins with 30 kilos around my waist. And I was pretty heavy at the time. I was like 90, 90 kilos. Squats were up to 170, not quite to parallel, but they were a pretty high number. I think later on, I, I, I think I lost about 30 kilos going down to parallel, but I was taught wrong at the gym because some guy was telling me, he said, shouldn't go all the way down. Bastard. So anyway, <laughs> partial deadlifts were up to like, partial that were below the knee and they were up to about 200. So I, made, I tried to make it as hard as possible. But anyway, I got really strong. Now, the consequence of that was and only doing those five exercises, not doing any kind of pumping, burning, toning. I didn't give a toot about volume and frequency was I got really jacked. Like I was still a little bit overweight, but like I got really freaking jacked. Like I had 17 inch arms. I got, had a massive chest. I was aesthetic. And for like, for, I was 18 years old at the time, you know, I was 18 years old riding the bus to um, college. Uh, like I was freaking huge and only focusing on those five exercises. That's all I did. Uh, I mean, I didn't, I, my, my diet at the time was just basically eat food, just eat as much as I wanted to. And I just, my goal was just to get stronger. Now, I don't, I actually think if I was to do that again, I would get similar levels of progress, assuming that the volume and the sets and reps were matched to my current strength levels and my current body with like being, you know, 40 years old and all that kind of stuff. And I think if there was a young guy out there who was like 18, 19, or even up to 25, whatever, who wanted to get really, really brutally strong and big over the course of the next six months and, and have absolutely zero other focus on anything else. I think if they were to do that big five, so that doing overhead, a push, a pull, 
a squat and a deadlift, I think they would get, and to do them as often as you can recover from, I think they would get tremendously strong and big over time. Um, only thing I would say is just make sure you've got enough volume there to actually grow. So like start off with a couple of sets of 10, eight to 10. If that, if you're not progressing on that, add some more, you know? And I, I, I know I, I always sort of matched it as in, I always ask the question of the question, do I need more work or do I need less work? It wasn't, it wasn't always about doing more work. Occasionally, I'd have more rest. I was, I, was, I was in a rhythm where I was training three days a week. So I was doing the upper, um, upper, lower, upper, and then it went to the next week. So a lower, upper, lower. So just alternated. So basically, I was lifting a body part every five days. And so, you know, there's going to be some changing of volume. Like, for example, let's say you uh, do upper body on Monday and you're due to do it again on Friday. And by Friday, you've recovered, but you wasn't enough. So you maybe regressed a little bit. And so you need to add a bit more volume on the Monday session. That's okay. You can, you can mess around with it a little bit. Or maybe you need to go to twice a week. Maybe you need more recovery. I don't know. But basically, the idea is the focus is just don't let anything else get in your way and just do those big five. Um, I think it would be, think it'd be a reasonable idea. It certainly worked for me. Um, it worked for me getting rid of it. I worked for my brother. And it worked for a lot of people who followed that hard gainer method. It's just you've got to understand how the relationship between training and food Make sure you pump your food up, and um, but I, that was basically my first three year, my first year of training. I gained as much muscle in that first year as most people do, maybe three to ten years. I gained, I gained a legitimate twenty pounds of muscle that year. So, yeah, I think if people haven't ever done that and have never gotten to reasonable strength levels, they could do that right now, and they could get just have the focus on getting that first twenty pounds of muscle out of the way, just by getting really, really strong. Like if I was to ask you guys at home and I was to ask you, you, Sunil, if you go from, say, let's say you're dipping right now with, let's say you go to the gym on Monday, you dip with, I don't know, 20 kilos around your waist. What if you were to build that to 60 kilos over the course of the next six months? What do you think would happen to your whole upper body? Exactly. Like performance has gone up. You've got stronger. Your body has to adapt to that. So yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's um, got to adapt to that. I mean, yeah. Now, nowadays, I might do more like, three to five sets of 10 but back then two sets of 10 of eight to 10 was was fine because my joints were more sturdy i was lifting lighter you know i was fresher to the gym so but for a guy who's been training for a couple of years or maybe just starting to train now yeah it's a pretty good approach just get strong yeah i mean i, lo I love li listening to that just you know your experience of when it things start to change and when you start to see like progress like never before um, for, for myself, that was that year in 2017, 18, I would say. I did a lot of stuff wrong, but I did get some stuff right. And like thinking back on it, I was, I can identify both the good and the bad. Um, so the bad was the nutrition. So <laughs> I, was, I, I was previously very slim and skinny. I was like, I was the skinniest out of all my friends as well. I was, um, when, when I did the vegan thing, I was literally very, very skinny. I'm trying, I'm trying to get a picture of when um, I, I, I was doing that because I was very skinny, like um, probably even weighing less than what I am now at around 73 kg. And um, when I started to take the, the gym seriously, I was just trying to find a, fr a free program online. I was just looking into it. I was looking at videos about um, of Alan, Alan Thrall um, yeah. on YouTube, you know, just, just like information where I could because I was like I want to get 
better at the gym. I want to get stronger. I want to get, you know, bigger. I want, I want to put on muscle. And um, that led me to 531, which I got online <laughs> for free. Um, now, I know that we've got our, like, our own issues with it, but um, that gave me some structure and it gave me a template of how to yeah. uh, organize my training. Um, and it taught me about deloads. And that is what I used. Um, my nutrition was out the window. Um, like you said, you know, eat what you can, where you can. And because it was important to me, I, I shore that food down. Um, and that was my favorite, <laughs> but it, it helped, I guess, to some extent. Um, and my accountability there wasn't the greatest. So I didn't, you know, account for nutrition, um, only reps I accounted for and training performance. So yeah, I, I used that in that year um, for my squat, bench and deadlift. So I was doing those three lifts and that's what I was tracking using that template. And I guess we'll, we'll go into it probably later, but um, it doesn't really matter what you do. It doesn't really matter on the training program. As long as you're getting stronger, that's all that, that's all that matters, like, like we were discussing. So yeah, my, yeah, yeah did you want to touch in? So yeah, no, no, so, yeah. I was I was gonna say, I was gonna move on to um you go on. Yeah, so my Sorry, deadlift. <laughs> I, I I remember starting my deadlift like around. I was I was just naturally very good at the deadlift. Um, probably the long arms, the the long legs, and the short torso. The way I'm built, probably. But I remember going in yeah. and just. I remember I remember going in and just lifting 140 for like probably I didn't know, I can't I can't remember how many reps, but I remember because it it, it, stood, it stuck out in my mind like oh you're good at this like you're good at this lift. So um, I took that from 140 and then the strongest I got with my deadlift before the court, because <laughs> I had to pull back on the weight, was 210. So I took it from that range to that nice. range in those, in those, nice. in those years. Um, my squat, I remember, oh my God. So I got really uh, neurotic with like learning how to squat and I tried low bar, high bar. I started with around 60 kg and then I worked up to 140. Um, this is it. This is it again over the course of a few years. So it wasn't just you know in, in months. And then my bench, I remember taking from, I believe it was fifty to sixty kg, and then I worked up to a hundred. Um, nice. But again, like I'm very very strict and harsh on myself on exercise execution. So I've lifted more weight than than those numbers, but I would not count those because of the way I executed the lift. So for instance, um, I tried 110, but when I came down with it, I didn't really, like in my head, I, I knew that I did not control that weight, if that makes sense. And the execution was not the same as the weight that I did before. So I'm not going to count that lift and, you know, bring the ego into it. Like, oh yeah, I lifted, I lifted that weight. Um, I, I attempted 220 on the deadlift, but I wouldn't count that either because the, the standardization wasn't there. For that for that lift compared to the 210 so um i guess we're going to execution as well um but yeah that's just like my my background of when things start to change like when i start to get stronger and when i start to see results um there was stuff that i did wrong but what i did by structuring my training and using rep ranges using incremental loads uh, or incremental loading of you know that 1.25 to 2.5 kg a week uh, yeah. to continue progress yeah. rather than maxing out every now and then um, being patient as well um, yeah that's just like my background and what helped me in my first yeah. true year of accountability yeah. 
as I like to call it. What I would like to do is I'd like to help the audience now with coming with sort of looking at picking their own five or so marks of progression. And I want us to talk through some of the options that we've got. So helping to jog the memory of the audience of like what they could do when they're back in the gym, what they could really focus on. Because I, I want you guys listening at home to be focused on getting stronger in the right rep range over time. So let's look at what lifts can you actually get stronger on and what will be the best ones. So let's go with like a big five. We'll start with the main three, like the push-pull legs, and then we'll add in like an overhead and maybe like a, something else. So there's a big five that I focus on, which is like an overhead, a push, a pull, a squat, and a deadlift. So let's kind of go into those categories. And then I want to talk about strength targets for like what are the targets of strength, okay? Um, and then we'll maybe look at like where people go wrong. So in terms of, let's start with your basic squat movement. I think you're looking at um, a basic back squat. You're looking at a leg press could also be fine. Um, even to a certain extent, some squatting machines are okay as well. Like a belt squat is pretty good. A hack squat is all right, as long as your knees can cope with it. Like if you get any sign of danger with your knees, on your first sort of week or two on the hack squat, it's not good for you. Just ignore it. Because if you're already getting problems with that in the early stages, it's not for you. Just ignore it. Get rid of it. Don't start wrapping your knees. And don't try and make it work for you. Just forget it. Because you're going to have to get a lot stronger. So if it's already hurting your knees at a certain, and that goes for anything. Um, pendulum squat is a really good one if you've got access to that at your gym. Um, what about, can you think of any more good examples for a squatting movement or things which would work as well? I think you, you've covered it there. What I want to add to that is because you know how we are built similarly, Baz? Like yeah. if, I, if I was yeah. to stand, like my hand is pretty much on my knee. Just, just to give people <laughs> context, like my limbs are very, very long. Um, so like, what would you say about your experience with choosing exercises that work well for you compared to just copying someone else because they're doing that lift? Like for me, for example, um, we've kind of, figured this out with my training while, while you've coached me um, is the back squat is not probably the best exercise, even though I love it. Like for me, it's probably not the best builder for my legs because of the way I kind of go through the motion. So I guess yeah. you've covered pretty much all the exercises that I would as well um, in terms of a marker of progression for the squat. Um, that's, a, that's a really good point though. Cause like, yeah it might not be suitable for you. So like for yourself, you've picked out the leg press as your preferred one. And that's what I would do with you as well. I would just get your form consistent on leg press and just have you putting on like 50 to 60 kilos on your leg press over the course of the next six months. And what you'll find is th the way that you squat right now, when you build bigger quads, that will get better. Translate. Like yeah. it will translate. Yeah. Like if you, let's say you add hundred kilos to your leg press, I promise you, you'll be a better squatter. You will. Like, uh, you've seen me squat now. I squat pretty much upright now, like really, really deep, pretty much upright. And um, my quads have had to grow a lot to accomplish that. And uh, I'm, I'm, only even, I'm only really using about 120 kilos at the moment, but going like all the way down. But my quads are really, really big <laughs> just from barbell squatting. So I would say to people, in the initial stages, if you're not suited to the squat and you squat really ugly or you squat bent over, just go leg press. Just leg press it. No one, no one cares. You don't have to go for a squat. If someone asks you what you squat, I don't give a shit. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Just go for the leg press. Exactly. Doesn't matter. Exactly. Over time, what I will happen though is once you fill out your quads, I promise you your leverages will get better. 
to the point where you'll be able to squat more upright. But for now, it's a mute point. Yeah, I, I think that's a really important point. So yeah, no, that, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the squat. Um, would you want to get into push? Yeah, let's go to a push. Everyone's favorite. Let's do it in this squat bench deadlift order. Um, so when I was on the point of individualization, when I first started training, I didn't do a great deal of bench press because I wasn't very good at it. I, got, I remember getting up to a dip, which body weight, 90 kilos, plus 45 kilos on my body. So it's a pretty heavy dip, like 135 kilo total. And I couldn't even bench press 90 kilos. I remember telling you my bench press was embarrassing that first year. I, I, I was competing with a 90 kilo bench press. I mean, Jesus Christ, it was terrible. So like, but that was, you know, I, I, I was far better at dipping because of, again, the long limbs. I actually think you'd be pretty good at dips over bench presses for the similar reason because your limbs are long. So for a push, bench is great, dip is great, um, incline press is great, and you know what? Can we just with dips? Can we just say, can we just acknowledge and admit that it doesn't matter what form you use? The amount of BS online for like dips, that like, yeah, if you're gonna do dips with the chest, lean forward, just make it comfortable, just do the freaking dip, do what you can do with it loaded up with as much weight as you can. That's your best form. Congratulations. Jesus, the amount of nonsense that people talk about, like lean back, lean forward. It's like, just do what you can and make it safe. Do what lets you lift the most weight. That's probably going to be the safest for you. Yeah. But yeah, so like I would say bench, incline and weighted dips are good ones. Any other good ones and any bad ones? Um, what I would add to that is, you know, on the point of dips and chin-ups. Yeah. Well, this just might be like a personal thing to me, but... um. I don't find like those lifts. It might be the fact that, you know, you've not got like a structure to support yourself against, but like the rocking and the kind of movement that occurs during, yeah. during that, those kind of exercises for me anyways, I found like it kind of takes me out of the exercise. So like when, when I've experienced doing like chins, for example, I kind of find like sometimes, you know, just like that slight rocking motion kind of puts me off. Whereas like with like a lap pull down, because I am like kind of locked into the machine. It, it, yeah. it, it just, I know it sounds really broke, but it just feels better, if that makes sense. I don't know if you've experienced that. I will, I will say you're right. I'll say I get, I get what you're saying. I would also say, ultimately, I don't think it matters. All right. Yeah. I, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Because do, you do rock around and it's freaking annoying. And you'd prefer to be locked in. I would say due to the growth that I got from dips in my first year, I would say it doesn't matter. And also due to the continued growth I get from chins, they're literally the most results producing movements for me. Every program that I do is always going to have chins and dips and overhead presses and squats and deadlifts in them always. Um, so I, would, I, I agree that it, it can be off-putting, but I would also say ultimately there are still amazing exercises which should be in everyone's routine, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, to add to that, um, I would say... Just to touch on like, you know, people might say like, oh, what is it? Is it, is it barbell? Is it dumbbell? Is it machine? Like, you know, that, that kind of conversation. Um, would, would you agree with, with dumbbells? Because you are having to, you know, kind of the way you start, the way you start like a barbell bench press, like the weights there, all you have to do is just um, set up, unrack, then go. Whereas with dumbbells, one leg up, one leg up. Yeah. Uh, before you even started, you have to do that. And then you have to set. And then you have to press. So would you say like taking that into consideration as well might be a thing to think about? I think if you could find a nice way of dumbbell benching, you could have it as a main movement. But 
I've been up to 70 kilo dumbbells on our, in, in both arms when I've been, you know, 70 kilo, 70 kilo. And um, by the time you get them in position, you're out of breath. And you know, I say, <laughs> by the time I get them in position, I'm exhausted. No one wants to spot you for 70 kilo dumbbells because they're dangerous. <laughs> so like, you know, it's, it's, it's a good feat of strength. Like everyone likes to be able to say, yeah, I hit the 70s on, on you know, but it's like, eh, it's not, it's not great, man. Like it's not, I would, I would always rather a barbell. And I do, I do think barbell bench press gets the, it gets um, unnecessarily, it gets shit unnecessarily. I will say that because uh, a lot of people will damage their pecs from barbell bench press, or like. But the thing is, a lot of people are also damaging their pecs from incline bench as well. You know, so like it's just a lot of it is just lifting too heavy for too long, for too many, for too much weight, for you know not enough rest and stuff like that. Like yeah, and people get unlucky as well, but. I think the barbell bench has this undeserved reputation for being just guaranteed pec wrecker. Um, I mean, everyone's going to get injured at some point, but you can try and minimize the rate of injury. I will say with dumbbells, it's one of those where it, if you're lifting as heavy as you can, the injury potential is there as well. So you've got to be careful. I wouldn't class it as a main movement for me personally, as something of, as marker progression. And I say for most people out there, I wouldn't do dumbbell movements for a marker progression. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's what I found as well. Like, but certain exercises, yeah. uh, taking that into, into consideration for push is something that I've kind of um, come to as well. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that's why I've chosen the bench press rather than any other lift because just of the fact that, you know, the way, yeah. for me anyways, that um, the way it's set up, the way you get into it and the way you can load it as well. I guess that's another thing as well, isn't it? How can you load that lift? I, I've, been guilty. Yeah. Yeah. I've been guilty of that in the past myself as well by shunning away from the bench press. But the reality is you, you, it's, it's pretty safe if you're doing it right, yeah. And, and it's, it's, there are, you know, there's always gonna be danger if you go in a gym and lift heavy weights, but it, it, there, it, there are decent movements. But um, yeah, sorry, uh, go ahead. Yeah, um, so with push as well, did you mention overhead press? Like an... Oh yeah, so if we look at, we'll stick with horizontal push for the time being, because I okay. think overhead press is a different category. But the, other, the last thing I'd say is I think there's also room for certain machines like hammer strength has got some amazing machines and any machine which you can load up via weights is probably going to be a reasonable option. Like if it's a stack selected machine, unless you're really weak, it's probably not the marker of progression that you want because you'll probably max out the stack before long. If you're like a young able-bodied man, you'll probably just max out the stack. But if you've got a plate loaded machine, some of the hammer ones are good. Life fitness, you know, a whole bunch of good machines out there as well. So again, use that. And the advantage of machines is you can go to failure, you can go hard. Like you can be sure when I'm back at the gyms, I'm probably not going to be bench pressing anymore. I'm probably going to be pressing in the Smith machine or on one of the machines for the chest press because it's safer, bottom line. So yeah, that's chest pressing. Now, if you move on to upper, we'll move on to like a deadlifting movement. Now, here I want to say something. I actually don't mind people doing the full deadlift. This has become out of vogue a lot. This is part of the whole recent hypertrophy stuff. Uh, I can see you agree with me, yeah. This part of the whole focus is like, yeah, the deadlift is crap. The stiff leg is the way forward. Dude, we did a lot of deadlifts when I was when I was starting up. You know, we did I did tons of deadlifting when I was when I was coming up and I built a really good back. Back's probably one of my strongest body parts. Um, I don't see anything wrong with full deadlifts. Um, I like stiff leg deadlifts, but I don't see anything wrong with full deadlifts. I like trap bar deadlifts. They're pretty good. Um, 
But yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that before we, before we go on? This is so funny and scary because I've literally just scheduled an upload for my YouTube where I'm getting over one of my back sessions and I put in it while, while I'm doing my voiceover. I'm going to throw in the conventional deadlift because some people say that, you know, oh, because of recovery issues, you shouldn't use it. But if I can get, if I've proven to myself in the past that I can take it from like, say, 140 to 210, um, I can do that again, just with the better approach to nutrition and making sure that my physique's in check <laughs> while I do it. So if I've, yeah. if, I've, if I've figured out in the past that I can get stronger like that with that lift, then why wouldn't I use it again? It just, to, to me, that, that makes sense to use it again because I've, I've proven to myself that I, I can get that strong with it. So I'm going to look to add that in again. So um, to touch on that point what you said. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I just want to... No, go on. Sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, that's just what I want to add to that comment. I just want to say as well, I, I saw a post on the weekend about some local coach who talks about, who was trying to make the point that you've got to do dead stop deadlifts and that dead stop is better than touch and go deadlifts. And I always tend to worry for two reasons when, when inexperienced coaches make comments like that. Because one, it's a absolute comment. Just like touch, full stop deadlifts are better all the time. Touch and go deadlifts are never better. Like gym bros do touch and go deadlifts. Now, when I was deadlifting at my heaviest, I mostly did touch and go deadlifts. <laughs> now, it's very well known in strength circles that deadlifts allow you for more, to get more reps. And basically what that does is it ends up training your upper back more because you get more time in the tension so you get less on the bottom more at the top that's the con there's no like better or worse it's not we're not dealing with absolutes here only singles dealing absolutes right but um so this coach who's quite inexperienced he was trying to make the case for like you should only ever pull dead stop now two things came to mind one like speaking absolutes is really quite silly because any any person who's actually built a, a degree of strength knows that touch and go deadlifts work the upper back more because you're in the more time and tension. The second thing is this guy who was trying to make that case had never deadlifted more than about 200, 220, something like that. So what doesn't actually, he, he, and he was putting, he was positioning himself as an authority on the topic. So that is a little bit silly. And he, you know, he's, he's, a, and he's a heavy guy, was at 90 to 100 kilos. So like to be able to hardly do a double bodyweight deadlift does not put you as a authority figure. And so that was a little bit silly. Um, and also he's not very developed or very lean at all. So I, and he never has been. So I question people like that because he's putting it out there for his followers. And he has a very strong stance saying that, yes, dead stop is the way forward. Touch and go is for bros. But he's never actually accomplished anything deadlift wise. He's never actually accomplished anything physique wise. And um, yeah, he's, he's just trying to, I just, I just want to say to people listening at home, the argument for like dead stop versus uh, touch and go it's once again missing the point. And you, what Sunil and I are trying to do is simplify by saying it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> like, if you take your touch and go deadlift from 200 to 220, congratulations, you're going to get stronger, you're going to get bigger. If you take your dead stop from 200 to 220, you're going to get bigger, you're going to get stronger. Just be consistent. Don't start off with like a full stop deadlift and then move to a dead stop, move to a touch and go and say you got stronger, obviously. But be consistent. Just do what you enjoy. For most of my powerlifting career, I did my deadlifts in training, touch and go, always touch and go. I was doing up to like 240 kilo stiff leg deadlifts, touch and go. So the sets are like eight to 10. Now, the, the type of coordination and strength required to do touch and go deadlifts with 240 for sets of eight to 10 is insane. 
Like, so if you can do that, you can control pretty much anything. So I, I just want to say to people at home, again, try and avoid that type of absolutism because it's just wrong. And also look at who you're getting your advice from. Like if he looks like a five pound bag of potatoes stuffed into a two pound sack, then maybe think twice about listening to him. If there's one statement that we can make that is absolute, it is that sumo does not count. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, just joking, I'm just joking. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, I'd say for, for deadlift movements, we've covered deadlift. We both agree on that. Stiff leg deadlift is good. I would say sumo is pretty good as well. Um, I actually quite like partial deadlift below the knee. I think that's a decent movement as well. It does engage the hamstrings quite strongly. And then I would also say you've got a range of good morning movements and hyperextension movements. I also I think those are fine as well. A basic good morning is very is very good. And a basic hyperextension weighted is very good as well. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that as well. Um, as, as long as I've been deadlifting, I've never touched and goed. I think purely to the fact because I feel more comfortable res like having a full reset. And it, it just it just feels go. better to me because I feel like if I'm not yeah. re resetting fully, I'm like out of the rhythm. If that makes sense, like do you find like when yeah. you do you, do you think that if someone was doing touch and go, and they switched to say four resets, their rhythm would be off and it would just put them off the lift? W would you say that's true? No, no, no. In my experience, no. I would say if you can if you master touch and go, because it takes a great degree of skill to actually evenly place down a very very heavy loaded bar and do smooth reps if you take that yeah. you'll be better at pulling off the floor yeah that, that's why i don't like touching go because it just it, it puts me off the whole lift in general because just just the way that yeah. i kind of have liked fully resetting with the with the weight like even like pulling I, the slack off the out the bar like yeah. i find that helps me with the lift like if i can pull the slack out first and then initiate the lift i feel a lot more comfortable I will probably be going back to doing touch and go. So watch out for, for you in the audience, watch out for my deadlifts on, um, on, on lower body hamstring day. I'll be going back to doing touch and go, probably stiff legs. And you'll see what I mean, because I'm going to start off really light to enable me to get the motion right. It, when, you get, when you do touch and go deadlifts to the, to the perfect even up and down, it's a beautiful movement. Like it is, it, it just clinks the floor perfectly. And we're not, I'm not talking about bouncing it either. I'm talking about just the gentle tap it clings the floor perfectly and that smoothness shows absolute mastery of the bar if you can do that you are you can be very strong so i actually think it's a very good teaching tool um so yeah as i said i i i'm a big fan of touch and goes for that because they've helped to be help help to build my deadlift to be the strongest it ever was so all right i i mostly did them with stiff legs with regular deadlifts i would mostly do dead stop because that was a competition lift so when I, not to go off too much of a tangent, but when I was competing in powerlifting, most of my training deadlifts were done stiff leg touch and go. And then my competition deadlifts were done dead stop for specific specificity. Anyway, um, so I think we've covered deadlifts. The next thing I would look at is overhead press movements. Um, and it, there's not much variety on this really. Basically you've got barbell movements and you've got uh, machine movements. That's about, I suppose, standing and seated. I would always prefer seated always yeah seated at high incline i wouldn't really there's not a seated at high incline or a seated machine press that's the the type of machine presses i like are the neutral grip ones 
you get some which you can press them. they are amazing i i think i've got one at the gym that i'm going to on monday it's like, it's like a i think it's a neutral grip i think you, I think you can hold it both you can hold it neutral or you can hold it wider out i'm gonna hold it neutral like that for me those are amazing like there's no shoulder stress great stuff stability like, fantastic yeah. like this yeah. i like that i like yeah. that yeah yeah when it comes to like overhead pressing i've always loved following um dimitri klokov have you heard of him yeah. yes oh yeah, yeah. Dude, if you want like see someone who's got some crazy delts um and crazy strength in the overhead press uh search dimitri yes. klokov uh he's, he's a russian olympic um lifter and I, I used to just watch his videos on like how he approached the overhead press. Um, yeah. And a, a lot of his training, I think, is around the barbell lifts. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen him do dumbbells, uh, Baz. Am, am I wrong there? I remember. He is a stud, though. Because he, he was in zoo culture. Did you see that video from him in zoo culture at Brad, Bradley Martin's gym? Yeah. When he lifted, I think it was. I ah, think, cool. I think it was. I, I could be wrong here. I think it was 180 he lifted i think over his head he's an absolute stud i can't remember if it was that but um it might have been it was definitely replayed so and they he's a remember. stud man he's an absolute stud yeah so like a lot of my did, bias did his bodybuilding show? yeah yeah i heard about that as well yeah um yeah but um a lot of my bias for the shoulder movements is kind of from like look watching what kind of his his will does because a lot of their movements are based around the um pressing overhead so um i i really enjoy the barbell just overhead press in general when it comes to yeah. vertical pushing um yeah and i would say if if you have um, stability issues with doing it standard you don't have to just do it seated for, it's for development's sake i mean i think people have like an emotional connection towards doing it standard like it's old school or something it's like yeah whatever like you know if you if you if your lower back does starts to do tricks when you're doing it standing just do it seated and so the final movement would be an upper back pull so we've covered a squatting movement a benching movement a deadlifting movement a overhead press movement i suppose as you say the only movement i wouldn't do overhead would be a probably like a dumbbell because again stability issues if you if dumbbells are hard to get into place on a, on a flat bench then they're even harder overhead so i would just avoid that and then for upper body pulling, I would say your two biggest options are some kind of chinning movement or some kind of rowing movement. And I will say I prefer chins, always. I think they're a better movement overall. Um, and I might get some shit for that. But the thing is, if you're already deadlifting hard, you're already developing thickness in the back anyway. So I would always look to do a chinning movement. I don't see the point of, like, yeah, rowing is, like, chinning is just through a longer range of motion. If you're already, that's the way that I always did it. When I was younger, I was always doing a deadlift or a partial deadlift. So I didn't feel the need to put as much attention to rowing. Probably the first time I did rows was maybe like a year into my training. I was always just doing chins. So I would prioritize a chin first. And I would also prioritize it this grip. So underhand, palms facing towards you at about shoulder width. That way you get a much longer range of motion and you can target your lats. Wide is not as much, like it's a bit more upper back. Um, but certainly, like, if you bring it down like this, it's kind of like the movement of a pullover, like a pullover machine. You really engage the lats. And I go to about here, touch up to about there. That's enough. Or neutral grip. Again, neutral grip is quite good, but underhand or neutral grip. And as long as it's kind of shoulder width, I would never do, um, 
I have had my wide grip pull-ups as the main movement before, but I, I prefer the underhand. We think alike in a lot of ways, guys. <laughs> it's it's scary, but um, in, in my video that I'm re releasing today, I, I literally go over that. Like, I go over how nice. I go over the T bar row, uh, the unilateral lat pull down, so one arm at a time. I, I went over that, yeah. And I, I basically touched on a lot of the points that you were making there on um, the kind of if you do use a, a T bar row, uh, just know that you might have to be using you know your core a lot more, your lower back might be yeah. hit, um, because of that. What's even. So um, yeah, like maybe looking into using the seated, seated cable row if that's an issue. I, I was I was pointing out as well. Um, love the I, cable row. You love it. Yeah, um, I was I was pointing out like with like the um, like you said with the with the grips. So because I got I have really long arms. Um, when I use like a V bar handle or um, for, for for the lat pull down like that range of motion for me works a lot better than going wide. Like when I go wide, it doesn't really work well for me. I, I don't know why, but it's yeah. just like, it feels awkward because I'm not, I'm not moving that far, if that makes sense. Yeah. So when I, when I come, when yeah. I come in close, yeah. like the, the range of motions are like so much more greater and I feel it a lot more, especially with the T-bar row. Like when I do the, when I do, when I do the T-bar row, I can lock in like amazingly well with it. And like my lats just, just hit do you do you do um is it like a are you is it a freestanding t-bar or are you are you um is it chest supported no no um i've done it um free free bar with the v-bar handle i've done the chest supported machine as well and the seat or seated cable machine um what do you like guys i wore the three the the t-bar row is just like the only thing with the t-bar row is the lower back kind of um Thing that we touched on yeah. but out of the three when i tbro it's crazy like i, I can't I, i'm the same i can't find I'm the same uh, yeah i'm it's the same just, yeah i'm exactly the same yeah so um the tbro for me just works so well and I, I love using that exercise i was using it in the 30 rep range though <laughs> before, wow. before oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so now i'm gonna use it I, five to eight I imagine this is probably one, probably why we're actually built quite similarly body type wise. So I imagine it's probably why we like a lot of the same movements, but I've not really met anyone who likes the T-bar row quite as much as I do, but I think it's a great movement for the contraction. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be doing that. Maybe it seems, yeah, I'll see how the lower back holds up, but um, I do enjoy that. I get a better contraction from the T-bar than I do from the chest supported. But at the moment with my lower back, I'm not sure if I'll do the T-bar. But if you remember my videos from 2019-ish, I was doing the T-bar a lot when I was at JD and I did it up to like six plates a side. So I was doing it pretty heavy. But that is great for me. I can really contract the back very well. But um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Again, another movement that we like because body types are quite similar. Did you see, um, you know, how Arnold used to do them with his feet out in front? And I think Arnold's yeah. kind of, uh, would you say like an ectomorph? Would you, would, would you say yeah. that? He's, he's built quite, yeah. he's, he's quite long. Um, so he's long limbed. Yeah, like when I saw him doing TROs back in the day with, uh, was it Colombo? I think that was mm. something that I kind of took notice of as well. Um, but yeah, I love that lift a lot. Mm. TRO, yeah. So yeah, I'd say you know with the upper back movement again, just pick something that you like. I I do quite like chins. So Neil's pointed out an issue with chins that you will wave around a little bit. I would also say that it's not, it is true, but it's not going to distract from your results that much. But pick something you can load heavily. 
If not, pick a bent row or a, some kind of row. My caveat of warning for a bent row would be that you've got to do something which is standardized. So like a T-bar, you can touch on the ground and you can lift up, so that's standardized. What I, and we, have, we, we have to have a special mention towards the most butchered movement of all time, which is the barbell bent row. Like you can do the barbell bent row in a way which is going to absolutely have zero effect on your lower back. And then it's just basically an assistance to your deadlift. So people who do like the pen lay row, where they just yank it from the bar and yank it from the from the floor and then let it fall down. It's a terrible movement. Please don't do that. Um, try and have some form of standardization. So there's a concrete starting point and a concrete end point for every rep. If you can't do that, ask yourself the question, how do you know whether you're progressing or not? I don't like the bent over row for that reason because most people when they're bent over rowing, they as the set progresses, the bar will get higher and higher up the legs and they will get more and more upright. So I don't think that's a very good option. I like a strict chest supported row. I like a strict T-bar row. If you do insist on doing the bent over row, do it so you touch the bar on the floor on every rep gently and then pull up to your stomach. Have that as Pitt has that have that as a, a good standardized form. I will say though, I've tried to make the bent over row work for me. It just doesn't. I'm not on my retail in that regard. So it just doesn't. I much prefer chest supported or a chin up. Chins will be the majority. Chins and, and underground under under grip pull downs will be the majority of what I do when the gyms open up again. Um, I, if I I, might, I want to set myself the goal of doing chins with about 20 kilos around my waist for three sets of 10. That's the goal. That's just a pretty easy goal. Maybe 40 kilos for three sets of 10. Um, but that that's going to be my goal. So yeah, that's kind of how I feel about upper back work. I saw um, quite recently Wesley visitors because he he's he's another six yeah. three guys in he. Um, yeah. And uh, he he was saying in one of his bent over row videos how he likes to be kind of stood up more while rowing, and he said that that that, that works well for him. Um, do you, do you think like the angle at which you're bent over makes a difference as well? So like, say someone trying to be like completely parallel with the floor, that might not work well compared to someone who's like say slightly stood up taller. I think that works well if you've got short, stubby limbs. Um, anyone who I know who's made that bent over row work is the type of person who, when they're deadlifting, they tend to be more bent over as well. Whereas you and I, because we've got long legs and shorter torsos, we can get in some pretty good deadlift positions. Um, so I would say, I would say I probably agree with Wesley on that. In that, like for example, I say, what's a good, what's a good gauge? What's the position that you can get into on a Romanian deadlift? So say you arch your back and you keep your, your, your upper back really, really arched, like proper banana arched, and you go down to the point where your hamstrings lose flexibility, get stretched. That, for most guys built like you and me, that's going to be about mid-shin. That's probably a good position to pull from. Yeah. Maximum, well, not maximum, but, but reasonable hamstring stretch. Now, for somebody who's stubbier and shorter with like a longer torso and shorter limbs, they'll probably be able to get a bit more bent over. Um, and that's fine for them. But uh, no, I, I, I probably, I, if you look at how Dorian Yates did his rows, again, very similar. He was, well, he did it exactly how I just described. His, his bar would go down to just below the kneecaps and then it'd pull up from there. So yeah, I would, I would much prefer that. But I think the thing is, when you're explaining things online, it, it becomes, you've got to use definition. So you say to someone, just be sensible, be strict. And the next thing you know, you've got them rowing four plates aside and breaking <laughs> and pulling their biceps. You're like, oh, crap. So then you've got to explain things. And then you've got to look at starting points and end points. 
that's that's why I think the bent over row is very misunderstood movement. You can bent over row without touching on the floor, and you know be very strict, but you have to be sensible. And I think when you're in the heat of the moment, it's difficult for people to be sensible. So that's why you. I think with bent over rows, you either get it or you don't. Um, and if you don't get it, then just do a T-bar where you can touch the bar on the floor, or do a chest supported row. To have something where it's standardized if you if you just can't trust yourself and you know you're going to load her up and go nuts then i wouldn't bother over the years i've, I've always strayed away from the bend of a row i've tried to make it work for me but it never does so i will i will be doing chins and chest reported rows and t-bar rows when i get back to the gym and cable rows i'll say i love cable rows a good cable row with a reasonably close attachment is, that does a good thing for my back yeah oh um on that a rear delt movement which is rowing quite higher like a face pull or something what would you say on, on that because I, I i would i would put the seated um face pull as my top exercise for like a, an upper back rear delt movement on that note what i would what i wanted to talk about was why aren't we adding in extra movements in the big five so like rear delts of that movement you've mentioned is a very good movement by the way but i would say rear delts biceps triceps um forearms calves to a certain extent they will all get worked in this big five so the big five that we've kind of just gone through those will be the base and if we're looking at this whole idea of like a pick three to five movements and get stronger them over the course of the next six months that would be the base now if we're talking about additional extras i think an upper back movement is very useful i do um i'd actually say as well in my last competition that i did the men's physique competition i thought my upper back was a weak area my lats were huge way bigger than anyone on stage but my upper back is what lacked and that's why you'll see me when i train i do a lot more wide grip pull-ups rows to the chest that will bend over that i do i do a lot more because i'm trying to build a upper back area so yeah i agree rear delt slash upper back movement is very very useful for aesthetics as well as everything else um and i think it's far more useful than a shrug if you're going to do like a trap movement you may as well do a rear delt upper back movement rather than a shrug because if you're deadlifting you're going to get trapped as big as my traps are, I only ever deadlifted. I never did shrugs regularly. So yeah, I, I agree. I think that's the first one of some of very important exercise exercise is the upper back. What else would you say would be a useful one? I've not found a better exercise than that one, um, the seated face pull, especially if you can get like an attachment which has like room in the middle for your face to go into. So you can get that extra yeah. little bit uh, for that squeeze. Um, for me, I've not found a better one than that. Can I suggest one? Yeah. Try this. You might like it, you might not. But you know that you know that movement like that. This time, don't bend your arms. Just shrug your shoulders back. Shrug your shoulders back. Basically, it's a pure upper back movement. You take oh. out your arms completely. Okay, yeah. So you take out your so you can use a lot more weight and you can load up the upper back a lot more. It doesn't really work the rear delts as much as what you've identified. So it's a bit of a different movement. But for the actual upper back, there's nothing more than just shrugging shoulders back. It looks weird, doesn't it? <laughs> <My camera. laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's a, someone's going to outtake that. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's um, I would say that it's a it's a rearward shrug. It was popularized by a guy called Paul Kelso who was the Japanese um, powerlifting coach in the 80s. And he released a book on different types of shrugs. He would like shrug back, shrug up, shrug down, shrug. And he just, he thought the shrug was a magical movement for the shoulder girdle because it helped to stabilize it. And you could use heavier weights. Um, so like you'd, be, you'd always be able to use heavy weights in the shrug than you would with the face pull. 
And so that's why he thought you could load up the upper back uh, with a lot more power. They're probably, to be fair, they're probably separate movements, but it's worth trying it as well. I, whenever I program it in, I call it the Kelso shrug. So there was also another movement called the, um, which was like a downward shrug. It's like you've shrugged down and it was popularized by the, uh, do you know the Dr. Casey book? I, I think I've seen, the Canadian... Jeff, I've seen Jeff Nippard do that yeah. as like a warm up in one of his videos. Yes. Yeah. Not... So, yeah. So Casey Butt is the guy who popularized that movement. And in Kelso's book, he, he was going to call it the Butt Shrug, <laughs> but it didn't <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> so, yeah. Nippard is, is also a big fan of Casey Butt's work. So that probably makes sense. All right. Okay. They're both Canadian, I think. Right, so um, I wanted to talk about where people go wrong. If you've still got time to crack on, we've been at it for a while. You good for yeah, time? I, think, I think we're around like an hour and something, but um, yeah, I'm cool to cool. go over that. Now, I want to talk about where people go wrong. This is a big thing. Okay, so I, I've got written down here the golden zone. Now, the golden zone is kind of a term that I coined. Um, I've been sort of talking about for the last few years, but it's my way of describing the hard part of a training cycle. Now, at the moment, what we have is very much this idea of like training in blocks. Like you train five, six week block, then you deload, then you start again, you build up all that kind of stuff. Now that's fine if it's implemented correctly. When it's implemented incorrectly, it, it tends to cause the same problems as people just changing routines every now and again, every, every week. So let me sort of describe what's going on. Now, let's say you've got the strength to bench press 100 kilos with 10 reps, right? Now, over the course of, say, a couple of weeks, you go from, you build up to that point as you normally would. You get in the gym, hit 90 for 10. The next week, hit 95 for 10. The next week, hit 100 for 10. And that's when you're right on the limit. You're right on the money. You're really, really hard. Okay. Now, the week after that, you might get 100 for 11. All right. And at that point, that's when doubt starts to creep in people's minds. You go, shit, it's not working. Like, I've, I only gained one rep. I wasn't able to add weight to the bar. I didn't feel very strong. Or let's say they can add just like half a rep or whatever. That is the point where people normally change routines. My argument is that's actually the point where you start to grow because the 90 to 95, which you progressed easily on, right? It's not really progress. You've just moved up to the point where your body's capable of going all out. So this first two weeks, you've pretty much just, it's not a waste because you've got to build up, but it's a waste if you just think, crap, that's got hard. Now I'm going to change routines because it's not working. That point where you're only gaining one or two reps per week or you're only gaining like two and a half kilos per session, that is the point where you've got to dig in and go, all right, this is where the work begins. This is where you can look at nutrition. You can look at rest. This is where you're actually, you're going to grow and you'll get those extra few reps or you're not going to grow and you won't get those extra few reps. The previous buildup to that is just, it's nothing. And I think all too often people get to this hard stage of the training cycle and they think, crap, it's not working. No, like, that's when you start to work. It's everything prior to that. It's just a lead up to that point. And my point is that for a lot of people who just don't progress in the gym, their entire training year is full of this introductory part of the training cycle, this building up of, of routines. When they get to the end stage, well, not the end, when they get a few weeks in and it starts to get hard, that's when they think, okay, crap, it's hard. Let me change routines and try something else. That, and it, it leads back into the conversation I was saying about our angry Texan friend and our short, stubby Russian friend about arguing about intensity and volume. They lead into this because 
once you start to get hard, you think you start to doubt yourself. Oh crap, maybe I'm on the wrong routine. Maybe I'll go on this routine. Maybe this guy was right. Maybe this guy was right. I'll change my routine. So next week, you'll change it. And you go, oh, I'm changing up a little bit. And of course, they get a bit sore because they've changed it. So it leads into that feeling that they're doing the right thing. Next week gets a bit harder. Go, oh, this is going great. Third or fourth week gets really hard because it added more weight to the bar. Like crap, I ran into a wall again. Let me just change everything. But they don't, they don't realize the wall is where you want to be. That's where adaptation occurs. You have to live in that zone. You have to become friends with that zone. Like hard training isn't fucking easy. Like it is hard gut busting work. And if you were anything but a, a natural who's been lifting for like a few years, it's very, very difficult to actually gain. Like a natural who just started out lifting or a guy who's using drugs, they'll have it a lot easier. But if you are the typical guy who's listened to our podcast who say anywhere between 20 to 50 years old, and or past the beginner stage, you've been lifting for a few years, and you get to that hard point, that is where you have to learn to live in that area. You have to learn to live in that point where when you go to the gym, you're uncertain about whether you're going to get that one or two extra reps, that you live in that zone. That's where the gains happen because that then if you make the extra reps or two reps or three reps or four reps, that means you grew in between sessions. If you don't get those extra reps, it means you didn't grow. So then it's up to you to eat more food, improve your sleep, improve your everything else to be able to get more. That is the purpose of it. The golden zone is where you have to live in. And I think that's a very important concept. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I don't know whether if you wanted to touch on like, it's people kind of wanting to shy away from having to attack the same weight uh, week after week. Um, I don't know if you want to give like an example of when that's happened, like with yourself, where you've hit a wall. But for me, it was when I was deadlifting 160 uh, for 10s and I was trying to get it to 12. And week after week, it was just like, I was hitting 10s and 11s, but I couldn't get that 12. And I was like, having to go in every week with that thought in, my, in the back of my head, like, you're going to have to do that again. You're going to have to do that again. And it was like, you know, that's, that's the, is that, is that the hard work you're kind of mentioning is having to go in week after week, trying to hit that number. And is that where you think people just kind of say, I don't, I don't want to do that again. Let me go and start something new. Uh, I think, I think people have good intentions. I think people have good intentions. They, they think to themselves that I'm happy to work hard, but they, they just don't, they just don't understand that that's the process. Like for me, every single kilo on my bench press from, 90 to 140 kilos in the first back in the early years every single kilo from 90 to 40 was a slog every single kilo like there was no time where i was gaining five kilos per session no time i was i only ever gained two and a half kilos or maybe 1.25 kilos per session and for most weeks i didn't even gain that and like my getting my squat from 140 to 230 in those early days every single training session was a slog it was always Let's try and add one kilo to the bar or try and add one or two reps. There was never, and I think people are under, like overestimate what they're capable of. In a weird kind of way, people like both simultaneously think they can gain stronger, but also blame people who are on drugs because they can get bigger, stronger. So it's, it's a weird kind of mentality that people have. People think they should be able to add five or 10 kilos every session without fail. Like that doesn't fucking happen. Like you look at that five kilos in a month, on a, on a bench press, a squat, or a deadlift. That's you, if you're lucky. Because imagine that in a year, you've added 60 kilos. Like, great. <laughs> you 
I mean, who does that? You know, like just think about it in those ways. Like, I mean, right now I'm benching what 110 for a set of eight. And my all-time best was probably on 140 for a set of eight. So I'm 30 kilos. Now, if I ever get back to 140, if I ever get back to 140, it's still going to take me six months. It take me two years. I know that. The pandemic's been bullshit for <laughs> Well, pandemic and getting old. Um, but um, yeah, you know, so it's the same with people going back to the gyms on, on Monday. And what I was saying in my previous video was like, set yourself a baseline. So like, if you go back in the gym, like, let's take you as an example. Let's say you bench 60 for 10 because you've not benched in ages, right? You're, you're, you're going to be not used to the movement. I would like to, I would like to see you for six months get to 80 for 10. That's what I would like to see. There's 20 kilos in six months. So let's break that down. 10 kilos per three months, three kilos per month, right? That's hardly one kilo per week. Look at the progress like that. So what people go is, yeah, I did 60. Next week, I'll do 70. Really? And then next week, I'll do 80. Oh, shit, it's stalled. I'll change routines. That's what people do. That's what people do. That, that's, that's how it goes. And I think people have got to have a sense of realism. So I, do, I don't think people are like lazy per se. I don't think people shy away from hard work. I do think people genuinely want to work hard. I think they just have really poor expectations or poor knowledge of how to structure training cycles. I, I, and I think far too many people continuously do the introductory part of a routine. And when it gets to the golden zone, they tap out. They, they think the golden zone's the end stage. For me, it's like having sex and not coming. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you're continuously, it's like, it's like you're continuously just doing a lot of foreplay. Like, foreplay's great, don't get me wrong. Fantastic, great. Everyone's happy. But, but it's not actually the sex, is it? So. People just seem, that's what people seem to be doing, is just doing a lot of foreplay and no actual work in the end zone. <laughs> and the work in the end zone is the most fun part. So that's what I reckon. I, I think that's what it is. Yeah, I think people just don't really understand that that's how it works. Yeah, I think that initial beginner stage where you see all that progress and then you hit intermediate and then it's like, what's going on here? Like, I was seeing all this progress and... So, because it, it comes really fast, doesn't it? In that first kind of year, and then you hit like a. That's a good a point. Maybe yeah. it's maybe it's that. Yeah, probably. I would say as well. Because like once mm. you, once I got to a certain stage in my in my lifting, um, it wasn't like those first few kind of months where you see, you see those numbers go up so quick, and then people are probably stuck in that kind of beginner to intermediate stage, and they never really leave there, yeah. and they never. Really, yeah, I, I guess. That's what I would put put it down to sometimes. I think you're right. That's actually, I, I mean, I've forgotten what it's like to be a beginner, but I think you're right. That's that's a really good point. I'm going to steal that point, actually, because I, <laughs> I think you're right. I think that's what it is. I think when you go from beginner to intermediate, there's a massive rude awakening. And I don't think people really get out of that stage. Because if you look where people stall, people normally stall at the intermediate stage. Like I gave you the example of 90 kilos to 140. Why did I say 90? Because I had quick progress to 90. I was talking about the bench press. I had quick progress to 90 and then I stalled. Now, would you believe it? At the time, people were telling me, you've reached your genetic limit. Can you crazy, right? Um, but so I basically struggled from 90 to in the early days, 140, and obviously eventually a lot more than that. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's what it is. I think there's the rude awakening that shit, this is hard. It's kind of like going from um, key stage three at school. To, which is easy. No one gives a shit about Kizé 3. Like, it doesn't get tested. No one really cares. It's just like learning shit, maybe. And then going to Kizé 4 is like, holy shit, this is externally tested. And my teacher, 
who was all along telling me I should probably do some fucking work, was actually right because <laughs> external examples tell me I'm shit as well. It's like, holy shit, should listen to my teacher. So <laughs> maybe that's what it is. It's, it, that's like going from beginner to intermediate stage. It's like this rude awakening that, holy crap, yeah, shit, this is actually getting hard now. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. I think that's what it is. As to touch on, like, do you remember like when you were like a beginner or just starting the gym and you used to look, you used to look around the gym and see other people's lifts and you were like, say, say you were starting around uh, your bench press and like you were like in the, in the 60 kg range and you, and you just started lifting 60 kg and you're like, shit, like I'm lifting 60 kg on the bench, a plate aside. And then you, you and then you look, look at the, like the stronger people in the gym and they're doing like 80 and you're like, wow, like I hope one day that I could rep out 80. And then you see people yeah. lifting 100 and you're like, they're lifting 100 kg, like two plates. Like, but it's like, um, yeah, like that beginner mentality. And then once you get there, it's like your mentality's changed because now your expectations are based on where you're at. But I guess like you kind of lose grasp on where you started, I guess as well. And you kind of um, don't appreciate like the progress that you've made. I guess that, I guess, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's- You're, uh, you're forever- you're forever chasing your pump, bro. It's like you'll never, you'll never look as big as your pump. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love, those are some of my memories from like lifting. Where I'm, I remember going through the, those stages because they're quite recent, anyways. And it's like you, you go through that one, one plate phase, and then you go to eighty, and then from eighty you go to hundred, and then yeah, you just, you just like always. In that zone, I think I, I, I remember in the first year, actually one of the greatest things about having a really good first year was you can physically see yourself grow, like new muscle. Like you can just not look at your quads for like a few weeks and then look down and go, holy shit, they grew. <laughs> that is the best feeling. Like it's hard to get that feeling these days. Like, you know, like we've been training for so long, even with a layoff, like even from pandemic, like in the early days, man, you could look at your guns and go, holy shit, they are huge. Obviously, in the early days, I didn't look at the muscles as often as I look at them now. So I'm, such, I'm so vain. But, uh, but yeah, man, that was one of the coolest things, not just strength, but actually looking at your body like, holy shit, changes, stretch marks, like around my shoulders and belts and everything. Um, yeah, man, that, that was, this is why I think people should get into, people should, when they get into weights, they should really get into it, hook, line, and sinker. Just go into it. Because you can make so much progress, at least get past the beginner stage in the first year. So anyway, golden zone, I think, is that when you get into a hard part of routine, one thing I will say is the first lesson somebody should learn when they get into the golden zone for the first time is the importance of nutrition. That is the first time you understand the importance of nutrition. So let's say you're on a routine, you're going really well, you're a beginner, you hit your first thaw. Your first stall is not the time to change routines. Your first stall is the time to look at your nutrition, add in extra calories, two or 300 calories, maybe get an extra couple of nights, hours of sleep on the weekend, and then attack the gym again. That, and then you'll get stronger and you will learn firsthand the importance of the relationship between food, sleep, and your training. And I think people need to experience that firsthand. They need to see it firsthand. When they hit that stall, improve nutrition and sleep, stall will disappear. You're like, wow, great. And that makes you level up and that teaches the importance of it. So yeah, golden zone, very, very important. Sleep and nutrition, teaching the importance of that is very important too. Now, um, I know that you wanted to talk about exercise form and execution. Um, so if we touch, touch on that a little bit, here's one thing I do want, I want people, we're talking about like where people go wrong. This is kind of the broad 
um, category. What I want people to avoid is this idea that Faz and Sunil said, get stronger. So we're going to go to the gym and test out our max. And we're going to do force reps. We're going to do spot reps. No, we're not saying that. Okay. What we're saying is get stronger for a decent set of 8 to 12, maybe like 6 to 12, you know, um, with your own reps, no force reps, no like discontinuous reps. Like I'll do a rep, arrest, do a rep, arrest. I've seen some coaches do that as well. It's fucking moronic. Um, but so get a decent standard down for 6 to 12 reps and make sure you've got a standardized form. So you've got a starting point and end point, which is clear and defined. Maybe video yourself send to your coach so they can see what you're doing. If you don't have a coach, both Sunil and I do coach. So we're available. Links will be in the description at very affordable prices. <laughs> and um, so basically, yeah, standardize what you're doing and always try and get stronger within the six to 12 rep range. Don't try, don't just because we've said, Faz and Sunil said, get stronger. That's not your license to go and start doing singles. No one gives a shit about your single. And we just don't need to like know where we are. There's no benefit to knowing where you are for a single. You want to know where you are for a set of six to 12 in great form. That's all you need to know. So with regards to form and execution, I want to see more people working hard in the six to 12 rep range. It's easy to just load the bar up to a single, get your buddy to spot you and like force it out and feel good about yourself. That's not what hard work is. It's not what hard work on the basics is. So um, yeah, like, that's kind of what I want to say about that. Yeah. Uh, a personal example, I've not used a spotter. I, the, the amount of time, sorry, that I've used a spotter in the previous years, uh, just gone um, literally probably once or twice. Like I've never been in a situation where I've been using so much weight that I've had to you know, continuously use a spotter. Uh, a lot of those reps with the squat bench and deadlift were just me on my own, just lifting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like literally... I think I used a spotter for my 140 set, uh, 140 kg squat. I used a spotter for my 110 bench. But other than that, I've not really had to ask for spotters, you know, week in, week out. Um, for, for, for the bench press, if you're taking to failure, I would say that would be useful. But other than that, um, yeah. I, I agree. I completely agree. Yeah. Um, Definitely. I, I, I mean, you know, I train in my home gym. Well, I have been for the pandemic. I don't have a spotter. So at all, I don't bother. I just lift safe. I have the, the safety numbers gauges in, but I generally just lift safety. And on that point, like if somebody sat at home thinking to themselves, look, I, I, I maybe feel a bit nervous when I go into the gym. Just what I would suggest is maybe just like some of the people who are in the gym at that time. And like, if you do want somebody to just make sure you're safe on the bench, that's okay. Like occasionally I'll do that. Like if it's a very heavy set, um, I mean, nowadays it's not that heavy. Like I'm, I'm using set 10, but like if you are, let's do a set, heavy set of six, which is perfectly sensible. Just get to know a couple of people around the gym and just ask them, you know, have somebody who you think is going to be able to spot you. And, um, you know, when I do that, when I used to do that in commercial, commercial gyms, the first thing I would say to people is don't touch the bar unless I'm dying. Like literally, unless I'm about to pass out, don't touch the bar. You are only there to grab the bar if I fuck up. That's the only reason you're there. And just make that clear. I mean, you don't have to be rude about it. And, uh, you know, no doubt they'll speak to you, you know, back and forth and blah, blah, blah. And you become friends with them. But just make it clear, look, the bar is mine. This is not a traditional spot. This is you just making sure I don't kill myself. That's all it is. 
And as long as you make that clear, then it's okay. Bench, I think, is the worst defender. Obviously, squat is a little bit easier for people to understand what you're after. Um, because, they, you know, unless they're actually hugging you, then most people don't do that. But uh, with the bench, it's far easier for people to like, just give you assistance. So I think it's just make it clear and, you know, pick a guy or girl who's in the gym. Who you're, and again, it could be a guy or a girl. I've had women spot me as well. It doesn't matter. Because odds are, if I need a bit of help, it's just a bit of help. So they don't need to be strong enough to actually row the bar. Because in that case, you're, you're lifting far too much. But yeah, I, I, I will have somebody for safety. And if I do decide to flat bench, I know I said I'd do a Smith machine, but if I decide to flat bench, I'll probably get someone to spot me. Just say, look, just watch me, you know. Um, and just make sure I don't die, basically, is, is, is the only thing. And let's face it, even if you fail, you can still get the bar off yourself anyway. So just literally to make sure you don't die. Like if halfway through the set, there's some freak accident happens that your shoulder rips apart, then you've got somebody there to help you with it. But that's all. That's the only reason. Because you're lifting heavy, serious-ass weight. So just for a matter of safety, that's all. That's all I'd say. Um, yeah, so, but you don't need it just for safety. That's all. Yeah, agreed. I would oh, say the, the, the best... Yeah, sorry, yeah? Go on, go on. Yeah, I would say the best thing that you can do is it's got nothing to do with the weight you're lifting. It would... The, yeah, the best thing for your confidence, I would say, has nothing to do with how much weight you're lifting. It's your performance through, like, form. Like, you'll gain a greater level of confidence through your execution of form rather than an arbitrary number on the bar. That, that's what I've experienced. Yeah. Like, when I've gone into the gym... And just focused in on my form and making sure that my form is on point. I've gained a lot more confidence in that rather than I lifted this much. Do you, do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. This is this is another point which I think is probably it, I've forgotten it, um, and it's probably uh, you you remind you that reminding me is actually quite cool because yeah, like when I was coming up, like every new poundage would be more daunting. So actually having the confidence, giving, not giving the weight too much respect was kind of like, that's what we used to call it, like respect the weight, but don't give it too much respect, right? Uh, but nowadays, like if I'm benching 110 for a 10, like I just, I'm not impressed by it because I've done so much more. Do you know what I mean? So I, I, it's quite nice to get your perspective because like you're still in the building up stage. Um, so whereas now, like 110 for a set of 10, I'm like, eh, whatever. Or if I squat two and a half plates, I'm like, eh, I'm probably too casual about it now. <laughs> like, eh, fuck it. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, yeah, because I, I mean, with 120 for squats, I've done more than double that. So um, my actual level of eh, bucket is a lot higher now. <laughs> so it's nice that you pointed it out. So I think it's right. To, just to emphasize your point again, what you just said, I think going in with the confidence to say, I want to just, I'm just going to focus on my lifts, focus on my form, make sure I get everything right, and just try not to let the weight psych you out. Show the weight respect, but don't show it too much respect, um, is, is what we used to say when we were, when we were younger. Yeah, it's a good point. Yeah, well, what was that point that you were going to say just before that? You were about to say something. Oh, I was actually going to, I was going to move on actually and ask you about your competition plans for the next year. Because uh, I think just to summary, just to summarize, I think we've covered some really good stuff. Um, we've talked about priorities in gym. Um, I think the content that we're talking about now, the type of things we're talking about in getting stronger is quite different to a lot of hypertrophy work out there at the moment like i know it's different because a lot of people are obsessed over this minutiae of the individual session what are my perfect sets and reps what is my perfect rpe what is my perfect training block you know and the, the most that they really think about is like six weeks in advance what we're talking about is training concepts six months in advance or six years and that's far more important in the grand scheme of things so i think what you're getting here is quite 
unique content. And it, it harks back to the type of stuff we used to talk about when I first started training, and that, which I think is ultimately better for most regular people because they don't need to care about the minutiae. They just need to go in, enjoy themselves, and just get stronger, progressively stronger in uh, great form in the compounds, the moderate rep ranges, my usual four. And then, you know, we talked about strength goals, the big five, where people go wrong, the golden zone, covered some really good stuff. So I wanted to ask you, what are your competition plans? Like, when are we going to see, see it on stage? Well, as soon as I get back to America, um, I'm, 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 I'm open to anything because I would really like to compete and experience that. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking to move back to America in as soon as I can, really. It's, it's yeah. the... The, the situation with uh, travel at the minute with the corona or COVID-19, it's very um, unstable. Like there's, there's no real concrete uh, info out there no. to say like what you can and can't do. Um, my dad set up, set up like a little gym in our um, garage in, in America. That's nice. <laughs> so um, yeah, as soon as I can get back out there, set up and then see what is in uh, around the, San Jose, California area. Uh, I want to go mm. to Super Training Gym um, and all the gyms around, you know, California. So, yeah. Um, do, do you know of anywhere in the States or California from your experience? I know I know that um, Canada's pretty much opened back up again in terms of gyms because I've got a couple of clients. Uh, well, I've got one ex-client out there. And if you're listening, Sheldon, hello. <laughs> um, so, uh yeah, Sheldon's out there in Canada, and I'm pretty sure his gyms have opened. They've been open for a lot longer than ours have. Anyway, I think they were closed for a short amount of time. What do you know? An update to that? No, I, I just meant. Do <coughs> you know the um the whole physique thing and the show thing? I have oh. no, I have no experience with that, so I don't know what like is it is it federations? Is it? Um, I don't know how that works. I think. I mean, yeah. So what I would probably have you doing is first times. So I think to begin with, I probably wouldn't go straight into um, men's physique. Like I, I went to the men's physique as um, full, you know, the first competition. But in hindsight, I probably should have done just the beginners category. Um, so beginners is just full on bodybuilding. Thing is, you've got you've got decent legs as well. So like I would probably want to see you in full on bodybuilding. But like if I was to put together like a loose plan for you, I'd spend six months of building up some strength and some size, like just as we've been talking about. And then maybe like a three month, because you won't need long to prep. Because if we do like the, if we do the season correctly, like three months to prep and just get you on stage and just get you enjoying yourself, get out of the way. Paul will probably win a first timers. <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I would say another sort of off season and then look at men's physique. I'd, li I'd like to see men's physique. I think you've got the look for men's physique. Um, you've got, you've, you've got like, you, you've just, you've got the face for it. You've got the personality for it. I think you've got, you'll have the presence. I would like to see you do men's physique. I still think you'd be good at bodybuilding as well, or classic, but I, I think you've got a nice style of body. So, uh, but initially it'll be bodybuilding um, for first timers. And then, yeah, gain some size. I mean, ultimately, I think you've got a lot of size to gain. I'd like to see you at least in the condition you are at now, maybe 78, 79, 80 kilos. And that's not small. I mean, considering that, I think you, you and I are about the same height and I competed at 80. So, do you know the, um, do, do you know of Ryan Terry? The men's physique from yes. from here, England. Mm. I, I was looking at his body weight, and do you know like the whole body weight thing now? I'm I'm getting a lot better with as well. Just like understanding yeah. where where he's I work. Yeah. He he's um he's when he's like contest ready, he's at the 80 kg range as well, isn't he? 
I'm sure. He's 80. Like, no way. No I'm sure, way. I'm sure when he's contest he's fucking huge. When he's contest ready, on, I'm sure. Look this up. Yeah, I'll keep talking while you look it up. But I, because I, I do follow some of his uh, his YouTube content. Um, I think you're right. 187. That's he's like 85 it. kilos. That's still surprising. He's around there, yeah. And I was looking. I was looking my at, height. Yeah, so I, I was like, I was liking the look of his his physique, but um, he still needs to get his first Olympia, which I'm um, looking forward to if he ever does, because he's the only guy. This is really. a surprise. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in terms of like where I'm at now, like I, my stage of like asking questions and being neurotic and stuff about stuff, like that's all over. Like I'm just literally gonna get my head down, <laughs> not ask no questions. Just follow the plan, and that's it. Like that's all I'm. That's what I'm worried about at the minute. Um, just I'm just. I, I think. I think 2020 for you, like in terms of physique, and I know obviously there were troubles with um, everything else and Corona, and just you know, you, you like going back and forth between England and America. But um, I think, dude, for yourself, like you did so well in 2020, like that way off being fit, learning about nutrition. I mean, you had such a productive fucking year. Like, you've set yourself up now up for a lifetime of gains and health is going to be better and everything. It's like, you're in a perfect position now. Um, yeah, you should be so fucking proud of yourself, dude. I know I know, we're recording this on air and everything, but like, really, I, I am amazingly proud of you. Like, you should, you should be as well because you've, you've absolutely kicked ass. So, you've got everything now to play for. Yeah, thank you, Faz. Yeah, I mean, you, you've been a massive part of that as well. Like, the, the, the stuff that we went through in, in the coaching it opened my mind up to a lot of stuff and it made me nail down on a lot of stuff and the biggest thing that i would share with the audience is accountability and discipline like that was a huge, huge like it, it just what we practice um and like even to this day now like i it's just a personal preference but i i track a lot of variables and that keeps me more on the discipline path and that's what you know has helped me so much uh, with everything in the past year and i can now see what that gives me in terms of results and because I, because that's what we're all after isn't it really at the end of the day is results and if you can work out and identify what is getting the results why would you not want to keep practicing those habits keep practicing that routine because you you know like after trying stuff out you know what works for you what doesn't um, like we always say, you know, do what works for you. Um, what's sustainable as well is something else that I would uh, preach. What can you do? What What are the things that you can do every day that uh, you can see yourself doing in the future every day? So sustainability, consistency, discipline. Um, that's everything that's worked for me. I try to share as much as I can as well with people. Um, mm. nothing's a, nothing is a, is a sacrifice to me. I think that's another thing to share. Yeah. People might, people might look at me and think, oh, yeah, but you have to do some things that, you know, you don't like doing. It's like, no, like, it's nothing that, if anything ever feels like a sacrifice to me, then I'm not going to do it. I'm not a slave to anything either. Uh, I hope mm. that kind of comes across to people. Like, I like my routine. I like doing what I do. Um, nothing, yeah. Because I, I feel like some people might think to get results, you have to sacrifice certain stuff, but it's it's that's not that's not what i would share like like my routine i love it i love going to bed at the same time i love waking up at the same time 
um, yeah, that's that's what I would touch on that. Um, and I, I'm just I'm I'm just ready to listen, uh, look up my elders, you know, see what they're preaching. Like I mentioned at the start of the podcast, um, and just implement that really into my own. No. You know, with the regards to accountability, um, just to come back on that point and relate it to the point you said now about listening to your elders, um, I think that's a massive point. And recently, I had a, an old friend of mine reintroduce himself to me after many years. And um, this is a guy who was a mentor of mine. He's a mentor of mine. I'm actually going to try and get him on the podcast. And uh, I'd like you all to meet him uh, because he's a really, really nice guy. And uh, nothing but overwhelming positivity from this guy over the years. And we lost touch at the beginning of my teaching career. The way back, we're talking like 12, 15 years ago now. And uh, he kind of like, he saw that I did the podcast with Menno. And he, he messaged me and we had a back and forth. And it was just really nice to hear from him. Because um, back when I was, before, this was before my, my first sort of career, uh, he was trying to get me to do a lot of this kind of stuff, like a lot of podcasting, a lot of working in the industry. And he had just started working in the industry. He was trying to make a go for himself. But his name is Steve Shaw. And a lot of my audience will know who he is because he's uh, very famous in the sort of nat- natty bodybuilding, um, muscle building advice circuit and stuff like that. And the kind of stuff that him and I would talk about back on his forum, the, if people have heard of the Muscle and Brawn website, he used to own that until he sold it. And uh, he's, yeah, but it's just been nice to have Steve back in my life recently because uh, he's a guy who I listened to a lot when I was younger and he never steered me wrong. And the only reason we kind of got out of touch was because I thought my calling was teaching. And I did that for like, you know, 12, 15 years. And um, actually turns out, well, now I'm on the next chapter of my life, but I'm doing all the stuff that he wanted me to do back then, which I kind of, I never, I never ignored for the sake of, I'm going to ignore this guy. It was more for like, I thought I was going to go into teaching and that was going to be my thing that I retire with. And, uh, but having, having an older, having older people in your life, a multitude of older people who you can listen to and keep in your life who are willing to talk to you and give you advice it's really helpful and i think like even now i look for that because they are just you but just 15 years down the line like steve's got 15 years more experience like when he was the age i'm at now he was actually starting his journey in the fitness industry a lot of you know somewhat similar to what i'm doing here with the youtube and all that kind of stuff and it's just it's always, it's good if, if you have somebody in your life who's a little bit older, like Steve is to me, and is, wants to sort of sit there and chat with you and give you advice, it's, it's re- it really is invaluable. And I think um, I wish I had, had more, I'd kept more people around me who were older and more experienced when I was younger. And you don't have to hang on their every word because they're just people like you are trying to make it in life. And, um, but as long as you kind of take in their experience and just see what works for you, and just have them there. I, I just think it's very, very valuable. Uh, and I think everyone should have have that to a certain extent. You know, most people have got it with their fathers and whatnot. Uh, but uh, when I, I, my father passed away when I was very young, so I didn't really have that in that sense. Whereas over the years, I have had a lot of very good mentors like Steve, um, and uh, who've who not have never put me wrong and always just tried to steer me toward positive things. Um, so anyway, I'll be having Steve back on the podcast soon. And I just wanted to highlight your point about accountability. I think it's important because it's it's important to everyone needs it, no matter what your age is. I think you need to have that at the end of the week. Okay, what did I do? Am I progressing? Am I hitting my goals? Am I hitting my processes over the every day? Am I doing what I need to, or am I fucking up? 
And if I'm fucking up, put my hand up and go, yeah, I fucked up this week. And there's nothing wrong with that because that builds resilience. Uh, it helps you to get to where you are. And the honesty helps. Actually sitting, you down, sitting yourself down and going, yeah, you know, I, I kind of did fuck that up. Let's see if I can do this better. Makes you a better person. And so, yeah, I think that, I think that was a great point. There was one more thing I wrote about. You, you mentioned um, how you don't think any of this is stuff that you do is a chore. I think it's, it's good to have that positive perception of what you're doing as well. Like, make sure you're doing what you're doing because you fucking enjoy it. Um, yeah. But anyway, just two really good points that you said that I just wanted to highlight. So, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with all that as well. Like, do what you want to do. Don't do things that, you know, other people are telling you to do. You should, you should always enjoy what you're doing, uh, what makes you happy. Um, like, like we always mention on the, on the podcast. Um, and sometimes, like, the, the fear of, you know, going, for, going after what you want and kind of scare people because they don't know what like what that will do for them but yeah kind of jumping towards you know or when, when I started doing the things that you know I I liked I become a lot more happier rather than yes. you know doing doing what's expected of me uh, by others I see I would say that's another thing as well but um but yeah the the whole kind of um listening to the older thing I, I really like that um and the way, I, the way I like to kind of explain it and uh, to other people is I like taking stuff from other people and making my own little uh, smorgasbord of like what they've, what I've taken away from. So from, from yourself, from people like um, Stan Efferding, who's another one that kind of helped me even through just, just his videos online. Um, he's another one. There's, so, there's a list of so many other people. Um, but yeah, just... Uh, I think like that kind of stuff. I love. I love doing. I love like just taking a bit from that person, that person, making it into my own. And then I think it's always it's it's important to kind of develop your own ideas as well. So don't try just just to be a copycat, but kind of think about you know how would you make that your own. Um, I think I think that's important as well. So yeah. I think if you've, if you've got a good mentor, they're never going to just sit you down and go, "This is the way it's going to be." They'll always try and introduce, just seep in little ideas, and just see what you think of them. And um, I remember doing that with you the first time we talked about, forget what it was, something to do with nutrition. I think it was about food choices or macros or something. I remember just feeding into you an idea and you came back to me about four weeks later and you said, I want to do that. I forget what it was. And I, that's the way I like to work. And I do that with all my clients. I never just go, hey, this is what we're fucking doing. You got to do this. I mean, yeah. some things maybe, but most of the time it's like, I'll just introduce an idea and go, hey, what do you think about this? And then just leave people time to think about it. I think that's a good way of doing things sometimes sometimes though it's frustrating because when you when you're the one receiving the advice you think fuck i should have done that yeah i should have done that months ago i wish you had just sat me down and told me but like you, you can't be you can't be that way you've got to come to the conclusion yourself um yeah it's, it's, like the, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing really Go on. the movie uh you know the movie inception yes where it's like it's not about it's about planting the idea and letting that come to fruition yes. like <laughs> yeah yes. Yes. that's like a good way of putting yes. it so yeah, 100%. it's like if, if you can make someone think the idea is their own, that's more powerful than imposing your own idea on that person. So 100 percent. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think that's it. And I think, you know, I think it's also good to like, like, I, like I'm going to do with Steve. I think it's good to honor the people you work for, you, you learn from as well. It's like, like I've got my own mentors and stuff, and I think it's good to promote them and just make them know, just make it known that you appreciate what they do. Because um, it's a circle of life, man. You know, it's like they have their reasons for what they do. You have your reasons, but it's 
people can view that as kind of like a self-aggrandizing thing. Like I'm giving this guy advice because it makes me feel good. I think it's to a certain extent it does because that is human nature. That is, we are social beings and the old teaching the young is a very, very natural order of things. Um, I think I think we shouldn't look into that too deeply. I love giving advice to a lot of my clients. Um, I love taking advice from people older than me as well. And it's just a natural order of things. And I think we should honor that. I think it's, I don't think I don't think it's something which is seen as very, um, I don't know, I don't know how to say it. Like it's not seen as a thing to be done in this day and age. Um, but I think there's a lot of merit to people just having more experience than you in life, like 15, 20 years more experience. There's a lot of merit to them, uh, to that. Weirdly enough, actually, when I uh, first met Steve, um, he was about the age I am, and I was about your age. <laughs> So it is funny. <laughs> but anyway, enough on that. That's it. <laughs> oh, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's pretty much what you say, everything covered for this podcast. Yes. Good, good one. <laughs> yeah. Our, our first podcast, pretty much on just uh, exercise training rather than like the nutritional talk that we had previously. So, yeah, mm. I would say if the listeners have enjoyed this, um, let us know in the comments below on YouTube. Um, rate uh, with the star system on Faz's side of the podcast um, platforms. Uh, is it iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, um, as well as YouTube as well? Um, yeah, leave a leave a five star review um, comments on on those platforms uh, as well as YouTube. Like, share, comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Um, so yeah, um, anything else that you want to add, Faz? Before we go. Uh, just to finish off by saying that I've added a new feature on my videos, which I'm going to encourage Sunil to do as well, which is a Google form to click on if you want to ask us a question. And also a Google form to click on if you want to work with us. So either one of us. So I'll have that. I'll have my question and work with me on my media. And then I'm going to encourage Sunil to have one as well. Just click on it and type the question in. So uh, look for that in wherever this is posted. Uh, I'll post mine on YouTube. And yeah. It'll be in the it'll be in the description. Uh, it's just an easy way of getting in touch with us. Uh, another avenue to get in touch with us by a question or for uh, to work with us. Um, but anyway, that's all I want to say. And I'm I'm Fazlift uh, on pretty much every social platform going. So all right. Yeah, and by the time people have listened to this, it would have been one week back at the gyms in England. So uh, we hope you had a good week training. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening. And we'll catch you on a future podcast.